Welcome to episode 134 on Call In. This is Savvy Sab's podcast. We are discussing Bernie remarks, Clyburn, RFK, censorship, and more. Let's go ahead and chat. Eric, I will go ahead and make you a speaker, of course. And I'm going to go ahead and get started with O'Brien. It looks like a new face. All right, Brian, you are on the mic. You just have to unmute and welcome. And I have to make sure my uh, my media volume is on. Sorry about that, guys. I don't know why my phone does that. It's annoying. What's going on, Brian? Hi, Savvy. How are you? Thank you so much. Um, I have been introduced to your channel a couple of weeks now, um, and I, I really enjoy listening to your takes. Um, oh, thank you. You sound like another caller that calls on here. Uh, he's not on here right <laughs> now, but I swear to God, I was like, is this, uh, you guys know who I'm talking about. He has blonde hair, but you sound like him. You guys have the same voice. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, honestly, this is my first call in. So, um, this is my first time really, um, using, like I, I made this, um, account, whatever I was looking forward to, um, kind of chatting, um, for a couple weeks now, I think that there have been a lot, there has been a lot of dismay in regards to um, Senator Bernie Sanders. Um, I think I just want to go right off the bat and rip the Band-Aid and just say with a heavy heart that um, I'm, I, I'm still, I, I, I have been a very long time um supporter of Senator Bernie Sanders, like many people. Um, I am very discouraged with, of course, how things have played out, um, not just in 2016 and 2020 right now. Um, I, it, it hurts to see how the kind of, um, I guess how everything has, is being perceived with him today. Um, you know, I tweeted at him, I, you know, really hope that you would please call for a ceasefire. I support a ceasefire. I marched in Washington for a ceasefire. Um, I believe that the people, uh, the the power of public opinion, um, this moment is is needing that. And it's interesting to see how the power of public opinion can make an impact in in how things play out um however in many times i mean in in many circles right now that i discuss um progressive politics with um i i find myself constantly trying to see uh, a strategic way in the game of politics that there may be um of course that we recognize that that senator sanders plays in he has we we have elevated him in, in in our support for him to such high office you know as a senator as the leader of the um the help committee now of the budget committee um and and we we've seen so many positive things done in in those in those bodies um but of course you know i i for better or for worse, and I think for worse, um, he is deeply, deeply tied with the Biden administration. Um, 
And it's really sad to see that there's not more of a forcible kind of stance. Um, but I kind of just really wanted to come on and kind of just have a little bit more of a discussion on this, um, based on the way that things have kind of been coming out. Yeah. Like Brian, did you know, um, did you notice how irritated Bernie Sanders was in that interview with Dana? I did. And let me tell you something. I, if you ask anybody like that knows me, if if I ever see her face come on, like I just have visceral reactions because I, I just have a very heavily disdain for Dana Bash um, just because of the way that she conducts herself as a conduit of the mainstream media, of the CNN. Um, and honestly, frankly, I, I, I think it's just horrible. Um, I, I think that every time that he has an interview with her, it tends to go that way. Um, he, of course, is not going to denounce Rashida Tlaib. Um, and he also, and I think, you know, Sabi, the, the tweet that APAC posted about it, you mentioned that um, in your show that it, you thought that it came out the day after. It actually came almost immediately after. I was on, my, on, on, the, on a bus ride back to, to my city after the Washington protests. And all I looked forward to on that bus ride back was the Sunday morning shows, because I was just waiting to see what Meet the Press was going to say about everything. I was waiting to see what developments were going to come out of, you know, Blinken's trip to um, the Middle East. And, um, and I caught that one. And his, he, he, he obviously, of course, is playing both sides. Um, mm -hmm. But he's not letting them, he, he doesn't cave to where they want to. They try really hard. Dana Bash always tries really hard to get him to, to really sell out. And honestly, I think that Bernie Sanders and the reason why we supported him so much, I mean, for those that did for however long it was, you know, really admired. And it's not about, you know, idolizing or standing um, I saw a tweet earlier today that was like, oh, the, the problem with standing a politician. And I don't think it was ever about that. Um, but he was very consistent on, on his um, positions. And he has been a long advocate for the Palestinian people. He has been a long time outspoken critic of the right wing Israeli government and the settlements. Um, so it breaks my heart sometimes to see, um, you know, people calling for him to be a warmonger or uh, an, a supporter of genocide. Um, I, I really, again, to reiterate, I wish that he would have called for a ceasefire. I wish that things would be more forcible. Um, so, Brian, can I ask you one question? To finish before you do, I'm so sorry. But okay, I, don't, I don't see that a humanitarian pause is the worst Thing, I think in his position. Um, we're in a tricky place as the United States to not be able to call out genocide without having to participate in like the, the um, R2P. We would have to act. But we do see Netanyahu now yesterday actually now being a little bit, um, at least acknowledging a pause. And Sanders has also acknowledged that there will be many pauses that will be necessary. Um, so with that, I, I, you know, will rest and, and let Eric go ahead. Well, I, I just wanted to ask you one question. So the Palestinians have been getting wrecked 
in unimaginable yes. for 75 years. Yes. Bernie's been in Congress for eight. How many times has Bernie filibustered, held up, held up bills, done anything of real significance to help the Palestinian people? Look, off the top of my head right here, and I'm not going to go into Google right now to pull all of, any of this to answer your question, um, but I will say that Bernie Sanders has been outspoken in the way that nobody else in his position in Congress has been in calling out against Israel in calling out against the crimes that have been done in Gaza and the incursions in the West Bank. So I would actually uh, push back on that a little bit, Brian. Uh, the first person that I remember calling this out was Dennis Kucinich. In fact, Dennis Kucinich was so vocal about this issue. This is one of the reasons why the Democratic Party decided to uh, redraw his district because they wanted to push him out of Congress. I also remember Cynthia McKinney being very vocal about this issue when they got APAC to challenge her to get her out uh, of Congress as well. So I, I think the thing is, is like the people who were really willing to fight for the Palestinian people are gone. Bernie was able to say just enough to show that he cared about the issue, but also he said he didn't cross the line too much so that he can still consider to continue to maintain his seat and his position in the political space in D.C. Um, I'm honestly, I'm not very familiar with Dennis Kucinich, his seat or um, what happened. Um, I promise that I'll look into it and and look um, at least in what he stood up for and what he did. Um, I know that some may think I, I, I'm just being naive, um, but I, I, I think that if you look in, in Bernie's past, particularly with where it comes with Palestinians um, and Israel, he, he has expressed his concerns from the Israeli government's stance and in the Israeli people's um, positions um, and has called for changes to be made, not just with our foreign policy positions, but also in where the United Nations stands in that regard. But I so, think the problem is, is that mm -hmm. You're talking about Bernie of the past. Bernie of the past has changed. Bernie, I'm talking Bernie, honestly, Sabi, a Bernie of all time. He, for a long time, was, I mean, consistently calling these things out when it wasn't on. And I'm sorry to just interject on that. Right, but but the thing is, I played a video from 2014 where Bernie had a a town a town hall meeting where he told actually someone in the audience to shut up, and that person was defending was talking about the occupation that the Palestinians were going through. And Bernie, all you guys who watched that live stream, you saw that. And Bernie Sanders' response was, we have to deal with Hamas. That was from 2014. That was before Bernie Sanders decided to run for office. The thing is, Bernie has been playing both sides. 
And he's done this on a number of other issues as well. Like he did this with his presidential campaigns. He plays both sides. He tells everybody, you know, we need to fight back uh, against corporations and the billionaires. And but then he tells you to go ahead and vote for those same people who are supporting those billionaires and corporations after he suspends his campaign. If Bernie Sanders was serious about challenging any real power, Bernie Sanders would have left the Democratic Party and he would have ran outside of the duopoly. But I found out after I interviewed Jesse Ventura that Bernie Sanders told him from the very get-go when he announced he was running in 2016 that if he lost, he would not do a third-party movement, that he would be supporting Hillary Clinton. And I can guarantee you if a number of people knew that at the very beginning of his campaign, I don't think a lot of us would have donated to Bernie Sanders' campaigns. You can't go around saying you're going to start a political revolution in this country and start a movement. You use those words, you energized a lot of people. And I know a lot of working class people that gave their last to Bernie Sanders because they believed that he was going to fight for them and he did not fight for them. So Bernie Sanders owes people refunds, in my opinion, because with his situation, it was different. He didn't get his money from corporations. He got a lot of his money from working class people in this country. Uh, I was wondering. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Go ahead, JB. Hey, everybody. So one of the things that I wanted to interject with, uh, and how you doing, Brian? Uh, that's actually my Hi. middle name. But, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> as, as far as uh, Bernie Sanders is concerned, um, there has been some tacit uh, support for Palestinians. Uh, uh, Savvy, I actually DM'd you this article from New York Magazine. Uh, the title says Bernie Sanders to try to cancel arms sale to Israel. That was back in 2021, where he tried to cancel an arms sale. Uh, the, I'll just read the first short paragraph. It says, as the bloody conflict between Israel and Hamas rages on, Senator Bernie Sanders will propose a resolution that would aim to prevent a U.S. weapons sale to Israel and other, another sign of progressive discomfort around America's policy towards its longtime ally. So with that being said, uh, from somebody like myself, that is, uh, you know, even below the floor. And a lot of people in uh, somebody stated this, and I think it's important to mention that a lot of people are talking about ceasefire, which is good as far as going into the right direction. But there's also a fear that this is moving the needle away from demanding freedom for the Palestinian people as far as the ending of the occupation. I would love to see somebody like Bernie Sanders say, talk about ending the occupation, but he would never yeah. go that far. Someone like uh, even the squad members would never, they will talk about a ceasefire or things like that, but they would never talk about actually ending the occupation because that's the big no-no. Uh, only, so, only Rashida, I think. Okay. I think only, only Rashid has mentioned the end in the occupation. Yeah. Okay. So even still, like anybody who would call for ending the occupation and then they would equate ending the occupation with being anti-Jewish, when in reality, there's a lot of Jewish voices that also talk about ending the occupation as well. And so unfortunately, I think what we see now is that Bernie has been establishment we just woke up to it and bernie is you know and we were okay somewhat with him being 
kind of establishment because we heard a lot of things that he said and a lot of things that he vouched for. But then when we started to see that really he was just sheep herding in a way back to the Democratic Party without actually facilitating any real change, that's when it made us get turned off to him. So that's what it kind of means. And so while I do think that there was some benefit to uh, what Bernie Sanders has said in waking us up, um, it was it was, it was kind of, it felt manipulative to, you know, harp on our, harp on our grievances and say, well, this is what you're, this is what you're upset about. Right. And we're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But then he goes, yeah, vote for Clinton and then vote for Biden. And then it was just like, it was like the major letdown. Yeah. I'll, I'll put it this way. And I hate to, you know, be kind of, uh, uh, vulgar in this way, but it was a tease, right? Yeah, yeah. He got, he got us all warmed up, and then he left us with blue balls, political blue balls. <laughs> and I think that's what it was. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's that that whole concept of controlled opposition. So we're we're part of the part of the whole narrative management part of the whole systemic game is to have fake opposition out there to have opposition figures who talk talk the game and whatnot but they never actually get anything done when push comes to shove oh they just buckle on there oh they're weak oh why why aren't they you know and it's you know the reality is they're all part they're they're part of a of a corrupt system and it's it bernie and the squad are are, are part of the are part of the same game. And, you know, this is, this is the thing that, that, you know, some, it, we're all on our journey, you know? And so for, for, I think for some of us, it just, it just takes a while to, to get that. And, you know, I, I would advise Brian, you know, to, for you to keep or listen to uh, more savvy sabs and, and to RBN. Cause I, I think you'll, you'll find it very informative as to how things really work. Yeah, definitely. I have a couple networks. I mean, I'm, I have us, I start with democracy now in the morning, you know, I follow Vantage, a uh, reporter, Palky from India, that does great global news as well. I love Sabi's show. Um, and I'm going to definitely check out the, the rest of the RBN network, but no, you're right. You know, we are on, on our journey. And I think that, you know, Sabi, you spoke in your show today about that time in 2020, um, or I think your guest um, was was kind of alluding to that time, and it really brought back bad memories of of that moment when, um, you know, it seemed like things were about to change yet again, but but then it was all just a, a letdown. And again, you know, since the this administration has taken, um, it was a very very sharp turn from what what we were expected. Um, and I mean, I'm, I have no problem ever saying that I'm wrong. Uh, I can be wrong now. I may be wrong in the past, but, um, but I left the Democratic Party. Um, Bernie was just one politician that I see that is different from a sea of everyone else that is corporately purchased. And the only question that's left is what do we do if you're, even if we look at the squad, 
they're all in the democratic pool. Um, are we that entrenched in the two-party system that for someone with a progressive or just working class sort of campaign to ever come through is going to be difficult? You're right about that. It It is going to be difficult. Um, Maxwell Frost, one of the issues, and he's working class, one of the issues that he faced when he did win and he moved to D.C. was that uh, apparently... He had a difficult time getting an apartment because of his credit. And, um, you know, that was that was something that was supposed to be a private issue that was made public because he was a Congress member, a member of Congress. And like, yes, Congress members like they're paid very handsomely, even like that first year. But if you don't have the credit, you're still going to run into those issues. Right. Like in, in certain places. So I think that. What that tells me is that our political system is not set up for working class people to have those positions in politics. And I, I unless you're on a local level, and I think that that's in pur- on purpose, by the way, I really do. This is why, if you notice, a lot of our senators and congressmen and women, a lot of them are lawyers. A lot of them were lawyers. And they decided to run for office. They already have, because to run for office, you really have to quit whatever job that you have at that point in time. You have to quit your job. Running a campaign is a full-time job. So that was the problem also that Maxwell Frost ran into. He had to quit his job and then you you don't have any money. Um, So that's why a lot of times people who do run for office are people who are already financially in a position where they can afford to leave their job. And if they lose, they can come back to that job. That is also why a lot of our politicians are usually lawyers, because if you're a lawyer, you can do that and then just go back to practicing law. You don't even have to stay at the same firm. But I think that um, I would really push. If someone asked me to reach out to Rashida Tlaib to try to get her to come on. I can try. I don't think that I don't think she would come on to my show, but I, I can try. I mean, Rokana came on, but Rokana is a little bit different than other. <laughs> Rokana will come on and, and just take blows uh, for everybody on the team. And so um, Rokana, um, he did come on, but someone wanted me to bring her on and ask her, you know, specifically more about like what's happening in Gaza, uh, but also to push her to leave the Democratic Party because of this. Um And if there's going to be one to do it, she would probably be the best person to do it. Just because from what I understand, she, her district for the most part is pretty much set because her, her constituents for the most part seem to like Rashida. So she'd probably be the best person to do it and still be able to win, even if she's not a Democrat, but I don't, I don't know. I don't know. And I I just, but again, I don't think that she'll do it. I don't think she'll leave the Democratic Party. I don't think Cori Bush will leave the Democratic Party, even though they have silenced her for basically almost a year. Saps, can I ask you this? Um, Do you think that because of what has transpired, especially over the last, uh, actually month, because it's the seventh. So this whole, uh, uh, up, you know, upset happened. Uh, you know, on October 7th, now it's, it's November 7th. So it's been a month. So do you think that because of this, 
it's put Talib in a bit of a tough spot. So now it's like, what do I do? Because I want to stay with the Democrats, but at the same time, they're making this extremely difficult for me to even uh, stay within the same party while it's almost like her, both her loyalties to the Palestinian people and the loyalties to the Democrats are split. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's 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 really tough. It's tricky because um, I feel you. Like, I, I totally hear where you're coming from, but I just don't think she'll do it. I, it's like, I, I just, I think her running the risk of not being able to be reelected as an independent may be an issue, particularly because unlike Kirsten Cinema, who did uh, change her registration to independent, you know, Rashida Tlaib is not accepting donations from hedge fund managers and Kirsten Cinema is. So the raising the money part is still no issue for her. But what she may run into is, are people still going to donate to me if I'm an independent? Now, my thing is, if you have a base of people, those people should still be a part of your base, regardless if you leave the Democratic Party or not. But that's that's just me. Go ahead, JB. I saw you on mute. Oh, maybe not. Um, anything? Well, I mean, thank you uh, for asking, Sabi, but I think that you're onto something and whoever recommended it to you, I think it's a good idea. And, uh, you know, we saw today the votes and um, the speeches that were given on the House floor. And it seems like Rashida Tlaib, you know, doesn't have anything to lose. I mean, she she's supported massively by the people. She could lead the Democratic Party. She's being faced with censures now. I'm sure that she's going to face an, a massive campaign from APAC um, that a lot of the progressive squad has already been endangered of. Um, I, I think that at least you having her on um, is a good start because she's a great voice to speak about what is happening in Gaza. But um, as far as an independent run, I mean... I left the Democratic Party after 2020. I said, you know, I would never vote for someone like a candidate that I did not believe in, um, such as a, a moderate, you know, Democratic leader like Hillary Clinton or Joe Biden or whatever neocon. Um, so there has to be a way that this movement carves out politically to chip between the 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 Republicans and the Democrats, because as we see, even the moderate Democrats are going to join Republicans. We've seen already Democrats joining Republicans to of have cuts for for the IRS um, just to fund Israel, just to fund a genocide. Um, a couple of them coming like Democrats from Florida, which Florida Democrats are a hot mess in it of themselves. So it's it's difficult here in the state, for example, to to really have something. I mean, like our Republicans are a train wreck, but the, the Democrats somehow are worse. That's how we we end up with DeSantis. That's how we end up with, you know, someone to challenge him like Charlie Chris. Um, so just to wrap up, um, I, I think that some sort of independent movement needs to. Yeah. 
I, I totally hear where you're coming from. Go ahead, Noel. Um, good evening, everybody. I just wanted to pose a hypothetical. Um, because at the end of the day, all of these issues require a certain level of personal integrity and political courage. And I just, as um, Brian was speaking, I was thinking to myself in terms of that, where would we be now if Bernie Sanders had had the integrity and political courage to walk away from the Democratic Party after his first run and joined the Green Party at the invitation of Jill Stein? Let's say um, the Stein-Sanders ticket didn't win, but he stuck with it because he's at the end of a very long political career. And then Cornel West eventually comes to the Green Party. At this point, Rashida Tlaib comes over to the Green Party. Where would we be if all of the disaffected people would gather in one space? But And then you build that momentum and create a robust alternative to the duopoly. But we can't get there for whatever the reason, because it's all these conflicts of interest and personal allegiances and this and that. And it's just, I just, because what we do know is that it takes a massive organization and mobilization to change what is an entrenched electoral process between these two demonic parties. And I just don't see where that comes from. And it's just like, where would we be if people just really stood their ground and just said, absolutely no way, I'm not doing that. We would be so much further off. We would be so much further off if he would, ex unfortunately, this was under Nick Brana, but let's say it was some under someone else. If he would have accepted that draft Bernie campaign, you're right, Noel. Think about where we would be right now today. And I think that could be what Cornell West is trying to start, like some type of thing where, okay, you know, rather, you know, I don't like RFK's, uh, some of RFK's uh, positions, and I think RFK is full of shit, but RFK, this, this run with him leaving the Democratic Party and running as an independent, that can actually build momentum and encourage other candidates to do the same thing. And I think... Although interesting, interestingly enough now, Marianne Williamson actually is polling at 13% now, like she's increasing in the polls. And I think I really do believe it's because of this issue that's happening with Israel and Palestine. But I will say like, maybe that's that's something that Cornell West is trying to start when he said like a movement, you know, we, we should always have people running like as, as independents and stuff like that and as third party candidates but you're right, Noel. We'd be so much further along now. Go ahead, JB. Yeah. So as far as uh, the the hypothetical, nice to meet you, Noel. By the way. Um, but one of the things that I hey there. would <laughs> uh, one of the things that I would say is that there, there's two things that came to my mind. One is a very pessimistic view, and one is a more optimistic view. I'll start off with the pessimistic view so I can finish more positively. But the pessimistic view was if Bernie Sanders had taken the invitation to run independent or third party, and then you have Cornell West, independent or third party, then Rashida Tlaib goes independent or third party, somebody would have got whacked. I'm just being real. <laughs> because the thing is that there's too much popularity 
with these people in order for the Democratic Party and really the corporate dictators behind them to take that line down. Now, that's the pessimistic view. The more optimistic view that I have as far as how do these things come about is it would never come through an independent or third party in the first place because it always comes from the outside. And because it always comes from the outside, then that's how it's going to happen. You see, it wasn't a presidential, necessarily a presidential candidate that was behind what uh, Martin Luther King Jr. was doing, yet Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated. Of course, they did kill RFK's father, right? Because there was kind of a, a partnership between inside and outside. But the thing is, like, look at all the other people who were doing outside politics. For instance, uh, Fred Hampton was murdered at the age of 21. There was no actual politi political candidate behind him. Uh, if you look at somebody like Malcolm X, there was no actual political candidate behind him. Oh. All people who were the Black Liberation, part, uh, Black Liberation Movement, they, there was no particular political candidate behind them. But because they were on the outside and had the influence of the people, then that's what made them so dangerous. So they know that they can control a political candidate that's working from the inside. It is the people on the outside that are harder to control because the people on the outside do not want to be controlled by any inside force. So this is why they say just vote or just go through these parties, whether they be part of the duopoly or otherwise, because they know that they can control somebody within the inside game versus the outside game. And so this is why the outside game is so important. This is why the African People's Socialist Party are facing uh, indictments by the FBI for being uh, at first unindicted co-conspirators and now they're being indicted because of some uh, perceived association with Russia, even though they are literally working on the outside and they're not necessarily tied to a political campaign or person. So that's that's the issue. And I think it, the strongest uh, push that we can have is through outside, but it also helps to have it in conjunction with somebody on the inside that works with the outside force. Mm. Anything else, Brian? I, I wanna go ahead and bring in um, Ashura. If you're all set. No, you can go ahead. Um, I'm just, I'm listening to, to what you guys have to say, but I'm going to take a back seat now. Um, I think I said a lot. Um, and yeah, but thank you. Alrighty. Thanks so much. Okay. Let's bring in um, Ashura. Ashura, you are on the mic. What's going on? What's up, Sabrina? What's up? And uh, nice to have JB in the chat so he can hear my voice. So next time he reads my comments, stop calling me a she. Oh. <laughs> my bad, man. My bad. <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh, oh. Don't, don't worry. Sabrina's in the same mess as you. She's in the same boat. Because when you read it, she was right next to you. She didn't say shit. 
I'm sorry, Ashura. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, uh, about tonight. Uh, when it comes to the the squad thing, I was fired up when I saw them basically have so much emotion. I'm like, where the fuck were you when it came to Medicare for all marches? Where the fucking fuck were you when it came to the uh, what was it the the ev- eviction notice, the eviction mm-hmm. uh, moratorium? And then they decided to turn up the music, which is a thing now. I, I see Cory Booker's doing it. Anytime he doesn't like anything, turn up the music. But the Cory Booker shit was funny. Because he didn't know how to react to that. It's like he was making shit up. I mean, at least the people had a, they had a chant. But Cory Booker was making that shit up so much so it didn't make sense. It almost sounded like he was the male Kamala Harris. Yeah, he's he's so fake, you guys. I told you I met him before. I met him when he was running for president in 2020. He is so fake. Like, and it's obvious fake. It's not even like he tries to hide it fake. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I saw him. I don't know. They say he's probably bisexual because I saw him in this weird pink shorts and shirt. I'm like, okay, I guess he's coming out. But um, that, <laughs> was, that was him trying to make fun of John Fetterman. Oh, oh, really? Okay. okay, I see you. I thought he was coming out. No, that was him trying to make fun of John Fetterman because John Fetterman wanted to change the dress code because he said that people shouldn't have to wear a suit every day. Okay. And that started, uh, yeah. <laughs> so he was just like, okay, fuck it then. I'm just going to walk in with some shorts on. Yeah, that, that shit was funny. I mean, it, 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 would work, it would work good for him, though, if he if he came out gay. I mean, he could basically tick all the boxes. Now he can basically go pro-black, pro-gay, and just hide behind them as shields. Damn, Ashura. <laughs> I, I think he... Um, I, I think... I thought he was with uh, Rosario Dawson. Oh no no no! Oh she 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 kicked she kicked him out when she found out she wasn't gonna be president. Oh okay, I see how she roll. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, come on! I mean, if you're not gonna get to the presidency, why the fuck would I be with you? Oh, I mean, uh, as for RFK, uh, <laughs> I mean, they called him out on well, Jimmy show last week. They put a video. They even they went after him for free speech. They went after him for being pro war. And this one, I'm like, how do you not see this guy's not, he's not, he's a liar. I mean, this guy's getting billionaire money. I even said that on, on Twitter, like, this guy's not a billionaire. No, he's not, he's not, he's not a, he's not, he's not a free speech activist. He's not, uh, he's not, he's taking corporate money. He's taking look, corporate money. He's, he's, look, he's no different than a politician. Look, I'm telling, I, I really think RFK Jr., when he says, uh, you know, anti-censorship and stuff like that. I really feel like RFK Jr. is actually campaigning for the white billionaire class, people in his social circle. I don't think that he's really campaigning for working class people. I think that's a facade. I thought uh, Trump was the white billionaire class because <laughs> Trump has more of a, he has a more hold on the base than RFK. RFK has nobody. Uh no, he's RFK Jr. does have a base. Yeah, but he's going for just right wing the the right wing side. No, because... that's, no, I mean, well, some of his supporters are independent, some of them libertarians, some of them are former Trump supporters. But I mean, but he does have a base. That's the thing. Yeah, well, he's basically soaking him up for all the money he can get on both sides. I, I still don't know why this guy uh, is pretending like. 
He's pro he's pro peace. You, you can't be pro peace if you're gonna go to war with Iran, all the Arab countries, and then you're gonna you're gonna suck up to Israel. I mean, he even said it one time in a video that uh that he was he has his family has financial ties to Israel. I mean that was the that was that that was the well he basically showed you who he was. Listen, let me let me tell you guys something else too. You see, I saw something. I forgot to show it tonight. Shoot. I saw something that basically said that David Sachs and all of these billionaire dudes had decided to get behind RFK Jr. when they heard his position about the mandates and the vaccine. I thought he was I thought he was pro-vax. Huh? I thought he was pro-vax at some point. He was he was questioning the COVID vaccines. Okay, because somebody said online that he was pro-vax at one point and then he got censored and then he became anti-vax. Well, he's he says he's not anti he's not anti-vax, but he does think that vaccines should be safe. And so he's called out some of these things as not being safe, right? So his big thing with the COVID vaccine was like wasn't this developed way too fast to administer to people, right? Okay, so anyway, this is what I, I think is happening with RFK Jr. When I spoke to one of his uh, campaign staffers on the phone, I don't even know if this guy works with the campaign anymore because they were even making it hard for him. Black guy. He told, me, he told me that they were making a strategic change within the campaign. Um, and, and that was coming from his communications director, that Stephanie lady, the one that is basically the one that's telling people he's not going to go on left shows like that. That's her. I've spoken to her as well. So the thing is, is that um, I think what they, they decided to do is to let's go for the independence. Let's try to capture the independence more of the right wing people, the people who are, they voted for Trump, but they don't want to vote for Trump again because those, you know, they're like, let's play up the, the vaccine base. Like RFK Jr. Is a, is a smart man. I want people to understand this. Like he's not unintelligent. RFK Jr. knows exactly what he's doing. He doesn't want to hear the Palestinian side of this because who is he getting money from? This is what I was trying to tell people. So the thing is, is like, you're getting money from Bill Ackman. Bill Ackman is not for the Palestinian struggle. You're getting money from David Sachs. David Sachs is not from the Palestinian struggle. In fact, most of these billionaires, I don't think are. Most of them back Israel. So this, this should tell people something. And so the thing is, is like, he's basically like, let me make people believe I'm an outsider. And if we want to talk about the establishment, he's not an outsider when it comes to the establishment. He's a Kennedy. I want people to understand the Kennedys at one point in this country were considered to be American royalty. Most people are not in that same social circle as they are. And RFK Jr. is worth over $500 million. So when people tell me, oh, well, Cornell West is in a high class... Cornell West is not in the same social class as RFK Jr. People have to understand that. There's a big difference there. So you got to understand RFK Jr., that's what I was saying on the show, he is not going to disrupt his social circle and his status 
and go after the very same people who are funding his campaign. He's not going to do that. That's what I was trying to tell people. And I'm telling you too, RFK Jr. is also writing a book. I feel like I feel like RFK Jr.'s presidential run is basically a, a hobby project. Like they said, every man needs a hobby. I think that's it. And I'm going to tell you something else, too. Like, everybody keeps saying Cornell West going to drop out, da-da-da. Don't be surprised if they throw some money RFK Jr.'s way to get him to drop out. Well, he he is getting he is getting that book deal, so he he doesn't really care if he dro- if he drops out if he can get some suckers to buy his book. Or like get some mean, university position or something. Yeah, I mean, well, yeah, even the, I mean, I mean the thing the thing is, guys, is like look at who he's playing up to. Look at the power players that he's playing up to. He's making sure he's cozying up with the Israeli lobby. This is not a secret. He's cozying up to those people because he trying to make sure after this is all over, he going to be all set somewhere else. So if if I were people like if I saw that shit that he was getting billionaire money and I was RFK supporter, I sure as hell wouldn't donate no money to his campaign. Why should I donate to you when you get money from billionaires? You all good. Yeah. And uh, how much is Uncle Ruckus worth? Oh, <laughs> Jim Clyburn? Yes, you know, you know when I say Uncle Ruckus, you know it's him. Let me Uncle see. Ru- Uncle Ruckus I, hates I'm black not, people. I'm not, I'm not sure how much he's worth. Let me see. Hold on. Um, Jim. Lots of big well, how much has money. he taken? How much has he taken in total? Let me hold on. Let me see. Jim Clyburn net worth. Too damn much. Oh, here we go. <laughs> let me see how much he worth. Okay, his net worth is $189,404. It says the, oh, wait a minute. Sorry, that was 2018. Oh, that's as far back as it goes. 2018. He's probably had some money stashed under his bed or something. (laughs) Mm -hmm. There's no way this guy's worth 190K. He's got to worth more after all these years. Especially if he lives in South Carolina. South Carolina is one of the cheapest states. Because when you show that clip, Bad Cookie says Jim Clyburn is worth 3,000 fish fries. Damn. Hmm. You know what? That's messed up, Bad Cookies. Oh, oh I would I, I would take it. I, if the fish fries taste good, I'll, I'll take a truckload of it. Oh, I can make you some fish fry, Ashura. I mean, his fish fries might be so good. That's why everyone wants it. I can make that shit. <laughs> it's easy to make fish fry. J- JB. But JB the chef, okay? So let me let me bring JB in here. JB know how to cook. JB, can you make fish fry? Girl, cat catfish? Yes, absolutely. I'm telling you guys, it's easy. My mom used to make this all the time when I was growing up. Catfish with some hush puppies? Mm-hmm. Like what? And and and, and what what else? Um, Great. Mm. Okay, now, all right. Don't get, don't, don't start this feud between me and Savvy once again about grits. All right, because Savvy is a savory grits eater. I am a sweet grits eater. I believe that you can put butter, sugar, and milk in grits, and that's the way I was raised. What um, about I'm from Jersey? Hmm. 
Look at the instructions on the back of a grit container. What does it tell you to use? Water, salt, butter. There's no sugar or milk. Uh, yeah, you can do it with sugar and milk. The thing is that the salt is just a little bit of salt. It's no different than uh, adding a little bit of salt to your ingredients when you're making French toast. Like I add a dash of salt to my French toast mix. What? Why would you? You know what, JB? I eat your food. You're scared of me. Why would you eat salt on your toast? Mm -hmm. Look, I look. I'm gonna tell y'all right now, and I don't want to get too far off off subject, but I found a recipe how to bake your French toast, and it comes out crispy on the outside, and it's custardy on the inside, and you do not burn a thing, and you just bake it. Oh my lord, the, Sabs! I'm I'm gonna turn you on, sister. I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna turn you on. This stuff is righteous. I don't know about putting no toast in the oven. I'm back. What I missed? <laughs> I heard something about grits. Yes. I, I know I missed a lot, but you started talking about food. I don't know. I'm 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 a, I'm a salt and pepper grits person. Say grits and Roger appears. No. <laughs> Let me explain this to people. So there is there are grits and there is cream of wheat. Cream of wheat is sweet, right? That's what you put sugar in. Yeah, and like grits is has not been as as popular in the Northeast. It's it's a more of a Southern kind of thing, but there are like diners and stuff up here that do um, syrup grits. It's still not as good as like the grits we make at home, right? But they try, so I give them kudos for trying. But cream of wheat was more common like in the Northeast, right? So my mom used to make both. Like she's like especially in the winter. You want cream of wheat or you want grits? So she'd make like either a nice bowl of grits or a nice bowl. And let me explain why you don't put sugar in the grits. Because what some of us <laughs> like to do is we take our little sausage patty and we just cut it up into little pieces and toss it on top of our grits and mix it in the grits. Now you got grits souffle. Ooh, girl, yes. <laughs> making me hungry. I just finished brushing my teeth. Now you're going to go make me go back to eating now. <laughs> Look, I'm going to tell you all right now, there is more than one way to make grits. And this is how I was raised. My mama raised me grits with butter, sugar, and milk. And that's how we did it up in New Jersey and where I'm from. So, look, it's been around like here about fight for almost well, That explains it because I'm from Alabama. And Sapius has southern roots as well. So, mm -hmm. but you know, I'm not mad because a few years ago, just quickly, uh, my doctor told recommended me to eat oatmeal. I never ate oatmeal as a child because I didn't care for the butter, sugar, raisins, apples, and all that. So I would pass my bowl to my sister. But <laughs> to the flip side of what you're saying, JB, I learned to cook um, oatmeal savory. So oh. I cook it with chicken broth and minced um, garlic and onion and stuff like that. And it what? comes out tasting like a <laughs> porridge. Oh, so my gosh. It, it tastes like porridge. And it's a perfect side for like baked chicken or something. You have to put a few tablespoons of oil or butter to cut some of the viscosity of the oats. 
but I use steel cut oats so it maintains a type of texture. And, you know, I even use it to make a vegan chili because if you dice up mm. mushrooms and you use the um, steel cut oats that maintain a type of granularity and texture, then the viscosity works to create body for the chili. And wow. it just it just kind of works. Oh, my Lord. So oatmeal, chili, chicken. That is like a, a dinner. But it's steel cut oats. Oh. The regular yeah, rolled oats cook up to be too pasty and mushy. But if you use the steel cuts, when you cook them, they still have a type of chew. Like um, if you overcook ground beef and it becomes all these little bit of pebbles. It right. maintains that type of texture, so it, you know, mimics it when you cook it savory. So, and if you season it with beef bouillon in the chili, it tastes like chili. Oh my god! You know what though? Okay, I put oatmeal in my smoothies. I don't know if everybody well, but yeah, I, I do. Take, I have cracked. What are they? Cracked oats? Yeah, they're by Coach's Oats, but they're called cracked oats, so they're really grind up. And I take like two tablespoons of it, and I put it in my smoothie. I don't do oats in my smoothie um, when it comes to that. I do chia flax and hemp seeds, and that's more of a protein than, a, than just a, a fiber or a carb because I typically leave the carbs for the honey and, I, and, and the fruit that I typically put in my smoothie outside of that so but so, james, I, i've oh, i've done oats in it though before james yes, stay sir. away from flax seeds really? because flax seeds build estrogen they they kill testosterone and they build estrogen there's there's yeah, certain, there's I, certain foods i eat that, flax seed every day yeah like stay away from soy flax seeds um mint uh Licorice, the, these things build, uh, they, they kill testosterone and build estrogen in the body. I ain't trying to have no licorice. <laughs> By the way, I didn't know that. But, just um, just aside from the food, it appears that issue one and two have passed in Cleveland, I mean, in Ohio, which issue one was um, legalizing abortion through an amendment to the state constitution. And issue two was the legalization of recreational marijuana by an amendment to the Constitution. So it looks like, you know, as red as this place can be, everybody, you know, believes in protecting their own individualized rights. Hello, somebody, while we talk. Eric, wow. that was the bone. Eric, that right. was the bone I'm going to pick with you. Because when this Marina came back from break and said, hey, is there any more Rockfins? I was just like, Eric read part two of my Rockfin, not part one, which is what Noel just said. I'm sorry, Roger. Oh. I, I failed you. I, I am, a, I am an, an imperfect uh, <laughs> guest host, guest speaker. <laughs> I'll try to do better next time, Roger. Okay. okay, I'll have to um I'll have to mention that with uh Wyoming on Thursday. I'll have to mention both of those because that's that's huge. I um, need to, 
anything else to share? And then I'll, I'll yeah, get back I'm up to you guys. Just on, uh, Clyburn, Bernie, and your guest. Um, I was watching that clip when Clyburn was on uh, on CNN. Uh, he looked like he looked like he he got worried, like he saw a ghost, like people are not gonna are not buying his bullshit no more. Because how are you to be a black man, and you're a di- you're indigenous yourself, you're basically a descendant of indigenous people of Africa, and you're just taking money from APAC, bombing indigenous people in Palestine, for a state. That is begging to be recognized in the middle of Muslim country. Yep. Not to mention, if you look behind him, Sabrina, you got he has a marble. I don't know what that is. It's at a fireplace. I don't know what that is. I'm like that shit looks expensive for a guy who lives in a poor district. I was like, move over. I want to see that marble. Jim Clyburn's living very well in his district. But his, his Yeah, and as for the woman that was uh, that, that new senator woman, that lawyer you talked about, the black woman, I mean, she's probably the left, well, the left version of Candace Owens. Ooh. I mean, I mean, I, I heard her talk. It was like it was a bunch of bullshit she was saying. I didn't didn't give a fuck. And as for Bernie Sanders. I mean, Bernie Sanders now, he has exposed himself as to be multiple things. Closet racist, closet sexist. Uh, he's, uh, he's a Zionist himself. The fact that he can't come out and say it. APAC is now <laughs> using his own words now. The fact that APAC is now using your own clip, your own words to basically promote this shit is even ridiculous. He's not saying shit. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was a very telling moment. Go ahead, Eric. And in breaking news, people have been saying this in the in the chat. The uh, the House did vote to um uh, to indeed censure uh, Representative uh, Rashida Tlaib. Um, you had twenty two Democrats joining most of the Republicans. Yeah, no brainer. The resolution, yes, which accuses her of promoting false narratives, and. Uh, and calling for the destruction of Israel. That's that's some bullshit. So there you go. Oh, well, you know, it's expected. It's expected. It's it's owned by Republicans, and you got the Democrats who, you know, secretly are fucking anti-Muslim, anti-black. They they're reading from the river to the sea as equating um, wiping Israel <gasps> off the map. Is is yeah, is the, yeah. the the equation they're doing to, to get there? Yeah, I heard that on Twitter too. Like because because Hamas took it. But it was said before Hamas, so they're trying mm-hmm. to use it because Hamas is saying it. Therefore, they want the destruction of Israel. But the- I mean, you could basically say, "Should America exist?" I mean, you could probably say, "No, no, America should exist." And even Nick said that. So I don't know why people are so afraid of basically pro- protesting against Israel that much. But but here's my thing: like saying from the river to the sea, right? That quote. I mean, if you're gonna say that that is anti-Semitic. Well, then, you know, singing follow the drinking gourd or wade in the water should be considered anti-American because we literally were fighting against, uh, you know, uh, against being slaves in this country. And the thing is, is like, okay, so if that's the case, you know, we were singing those songs and then you have Nat Turner's uh, revolt, his rebellion, then are people going to talk about Nat Turner being a, a terrorist now? Because he literally killed slave owners for what they did. 
But let me let me call them out for a second, guys, because they're going to create their own interpretation of this phrase, right? Which is basically coming from the ADL. So they're following what the ADL says. Again, this goes to show you the hold that the Israeli lobby has on our government. I don't really believe that our politicians are running this country. I well, believe the Israeli lobby is running this country. But let me let me say something else too, because I can't say that on YouTube. YouTube will get mad. I'm going to say something else too. They can uh, point that out and consider that to be a form of genocide. But they are silent when there are multiple art, um, articles and statements where Netanyahu and the state of Israel sterilized Ethiopian women against their will, where there's statements where Netanyahu has publicly said that Israel is not for black people, but they won't say anything about those things. I was going to mention that too, because Bassem Youssef, he had a second interview with uh, Piers Morgan. He brought that shit up. He talked about the Ethiopian Jews being, getting, being sterilized through a needle. And Piers Morgan was like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, you can tell Piers Morgan was like, he was dumbfounded. Because uh, Bassem, every time Bassem comes on the show, he's just making him look like a fool. And uh, Bernie Sanders himself, when he says humanitarian pause, like, what the fuck does that even mean? Humanitarian pause. Like, stop sending me aid or stop the bombing? The humanitarian pause is supposed to be to basically allow them to get the food and water into Palestine. Because to, me, to because to me that makes no sense when I hear it. Like when they say humanitarian pause, it's like you're saying stop sending, stop sending uh, the the food and water to me. That's how I see it. And when people say, uh, and uh, not, not, they say, what, what's the word they like to say? Uh, ceasefire now. Yeah, I'm more beyond ceasefire for me. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying it. I'm, I'm saying ending the apartheid. That's what I'm saying. Because a ceasefire, how many ceasefires have you had over the country when America is behind them? They bomb them, they pause. They bomb them, they, re they do it again. They pause, they bomb them, and then they pause again, they bomb them. Like, how much can you take? And the more you keep doing that, you're going to have more Hamases popping up. And they're going to be justified popping up. I'm just, I'm just going to go ahead and tell people that when you take out one group, another group rises. Yeah, and the one might be even worse worse than the first one the first one may have, may have been super nice i mean i never heard about the thing but hamas tried to negotiate with israel and israel was the one that refuses and did say hamas doesn't want to basically negotiate and uh i'll finish with the the last one your guest why does she look like the brady bunch on your thumbnail that's from um the hill rising okay it's it's like the way she's popping out it's almost like the brady bunch <laughs> uh, there's somebody next to her, and I was trying to find a headshot that looked current. Cause yeah, the one it, that I, she, she yeah. gave me Brady Bunch vibes. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. Anyways, uh, I'm uh, I'm uh, hang up. I was uh, I was impressed with Jessica. She, she had a lot of takes. Yeah, she um, she's like you know, she's she's pretty cool. Like she's. Remember what she said, like, which I had already known this about her, like, she really didn't, she was not a Democrat or Republican, you know? So she was always to the left of Bernie anyway. Yeah, I mean. So interesting to say. I want to pa pass it to uh, JB, um, because I know JB has to get up early uh, in the morning. 
Uh, JB, what, what's your take on everything? And feel free to speak about your day because I know you had a tough day. Yeah, it was it was rough. Um, so uh, it, it, it's tough because uh, when we start speaking about everything that's happened regarding uh, Israel and Palestine, there's so many people that are saying, "Oh my God, October seventh, October 7th. I'm like, I'm like, you guys are. This is how you know people are uneducated because they will talk about October 7th like it's 9-11. When in reality, this history goes all the way back. Hell, it doesn't even go just go all the way back to 1948. You can go all the way back to the early 1900s, you know, with the Balfour Declaration, right? You can go all that far back. And, you know, when you try to take people that far back, they don't want to hear it. Because then that shows and it implicates Israel as being a colonial and illegal occupying state. And I shared a, I shared a post on Facebook. And the post on Facebook was indicative of what happened during the Holocaust, about how many people sat by and didn't do anything during the Holocaust. And a friend of mine decided that she was going to comment about you know, this event regarding Jews. So the quote says, everyone knows what they would have done if they were alive in Germany in the 1930s. It is what you're doing right now. That's what I shared. And she basically said, yes, it looks like people are busy at the moment. She shared a tweet talking about the the Jewish man. um, And he was 69, not 65. Paul Kessler, who got into an altercation with a pro-Palestine protester, in the tweet it says pro-Hamas, but it it was actually a pro-Palestine protester. And uh, somebody hit him on the head with a megaphone and the guy fell down to the floor. And when he fell, he hit his head on the concrete and he died of a brain hemorrhage. And so now this is being used as propaganda to say, oh my God, anybody that is pro-Palestine is pro-Hamas and pro-terrorist. And that's what this is used for. And I basically said, we need to wait for the investigation to come out. A lot of times people will get into confrontations and it will end in a tragedy. And she was basically equating this to oh, they were contacting him because he was Jewish because this guy was waving an Israeli flag. And the thing is, is that just being pro-Israeli is not the same as being pro-Jewish. And people need to know that because there's a lot of Jewish people who do not agree with the state of Israel. He had an Israeli flag, yes. Was he Jewish? Yes. Was he killed because he was Jewish? That is, remains to be said. 
I'm not going to say I'm not going to say absolutely not because I don't know what's inside the person's heart. But one thing I do know is that the people who are pro-Palestine, 99 times out of 100, they're not anti-Jewish. And being anti-Israel is not the same as anti-Jewish, right? And so she basically thinks that I, by me saying things like that, it's gaslighting. And so today I lost two friends because of my stance on being in solidarity with Palestinians, just like many other Jewish voices, whether it be Eleanor Goldfield, Lee Camp, Norm Finkelstein, Max Blumenthal, Aaron Mate, Dr. Gabor Mate, Katie Halpert, so on and so forth. And apparently to them, that was a bridge too far because uh, allegedly, according to them, I get my money from Hamas for my channel, the, the, which is complete and utter bullshit. Yeah, Hamas ain't got no money. No. <laughs> by the way, by the way, Hamas is only two percent of the Palestinian population. Hamas amounts to about forty thousand people, versus Israel has an army of active and reserve officers of six hundred thousand. So when people come to me and they're like, oh, my God, I'm going to unfriend you because you're pro Hamas. Number one, my problem is that they are basically generalizing the entire population by saying they all support Hamas. When half of the entire population is under the age of 18, which means that they wouldn't have been uh, some of them wouldn't have been alive to even vote for Hamas. Number one. Number two. Because you're blanketing people all as being supporters of a militant group, you're basically generalizing, which I consider to be an insult because I hate when it's done to black people. And the people who unfriended me were both white. And, you know, this is not a shot at white people at all. But the thing is, is that when it comes to being in solidarity with people who are marginalized you need to look at the underpinning and underlying issues that are happening to people, like as to why people are being called terrorists. Look, Nelson Mandela was called a terrorist himself. They treated the Black Panther Party like they were terrorists. And if they're willing to throw that word around so arbitrarily, you need to give pause and see and investigate exactly why they're calling them this and follow the motherfucking money because that's exactly what it is because ultimately what's going on in the state of israel the illegal occupation is because of money and western hegemony that they want to keep in the region and i literally want to actually look into what was going on and they want to study the actual history of what was going on it's also because of white supremacy too yes and and this is the thing that I think a lot of people don't understand is that um, I just tweeted about this Rashida Tlaib thing. Um, people don't understand. That's where all roads point back to. Even when we say follow the money, that's where all the roads point back to. Who has the resources? Who has the money? 
And oh, by the way, for the people who say, oh, what about this black celebrity? And what about Will Smith? And what about this black guy who's a millionaire? Da, da, da. How many black billionaires are there? Not as many, right? Well, and then how did, and how did they get there? Because they're, they're actually, right. Six. Because how, how did, how did they get there? They got there because they also play into the hands of white supremacy and the donor class. Think about it, guys. This is why, where the, think about this. Why has DJ Khaled, who is Palestinian, why he say shit about this? Think about it. The, um, what do you call it? Uh, I would probably, I forgot what I was going to say, but I'll say the other thing. JB, these were people in your personal life? Yeah, I'm, I, I'm sorry. Uh, yes, uh, they, pe people who I was Facebook friends with for almost 10 years. Um, one of the friends who unfriended me, I, you know, was with her when she went through bad breakups. I was, you know, I was, you know, her, you know, supporting her through, you know, issues with boyfriends, all this stuff, you know, and then next thing you know, she completely like cut me off. Uh, and all this was over Facebook posts. It was not over DMs. She did not call me. She has my phone number. And she completely cut me off without even giving me a phone call to at least tell me that we can no longer be friends. She'll probably be back. <laughs> they all come back. Um, what was I going to? Oh, would you like some updates? Um, well, I want to make sure. Hold on one second, Roger, because mm -hmm. I, I know you'd be a minute. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm sorry. <laughs> Let me just make sure we get um Eric. What's up, Eric? Hey, Savvy and everybody. Nice. Uh, good evening, everybody. Yeah, you know, I um, I wanted to you know go back to a couple things, you know, with Bernie and uh, some of his remarks, and I think you know the first caller was saying that Bernie had spoken up. I guess in, in earlier times, but right now that he's got as much gravity and power that he's, you know, amount um, that he has right now, this is the time that when he needs to use it. And maybe when he was speaking up earlier in earlier years, it's because he didn't have any power. So there was nothing, the conviction to really have something happen to him wasn't there because he knew whatever he was going to say wasn't going to amount to much. I mean, surely he was standing up, but or saying something uh, for, for Palestinians. But now that he's got more power, now that he's got more uh, attention to himself, he could do more. This is the time when he should do something and he's not doing it, right? So he's failing there. Immediately, he's failing by not doing something with the power that he's amount, amassed. With millions and millions of people that even though we and your audience and the majority of people, maybe many millions don't believe in them like they used to, he still has a tremendous amount of cachet with the more general population who hasn't maybe awakened to the fact that he's full of shit. And so if he did speak up now, it would mean a lot more, right? So him not doing it really shows where his, <clears throat> where, where his loyalty uh, is in, you know? And it's not with helping everyday folks like the Palestinians 
And, you know, uh, I wanted to give Israeli people uh, the benefit of the doubt, but me meaning that, you know, I wanted to believe that there's this real distinction between the government of Israel and the everyday uh, Israeli person, right? But I got to tell you, as time goes on and I see more videos and more things of where I see Israeli people talking in a way that they want to just, you know, get rid of these uh, poor Palestinians and just kill them. I'm starting to lose even that, you know, the, the, the benefit of the doubt that I want to give Israelians. And I, and I know there's many Jewish people that are against the current government in Israel, but I don't think they're the majority of them. Uh, and so that also is weighing in on me like, man, you know, it's everything that's being done right now is, is counterproductive for our safety, too, because all these people that are getting killed, all these young people that are seeing their mothers died and their fathers died, maybe their little sisters, little brothers, they're going to grow up. They're going to hate us. I'm not saying us here, but I'm saying they're going to hate what the U.S. the U.S. stood for. And that's going to create more problems down the road because those people are going to become martyrs. They're going to say, fuck it. You know, they killed my whole family. I want to do something. I'm not saying the majority of them are going to do that, but that's what creates problems down the road and makes it more unsafe for all of us. You know, uh, your thoughts on that, Savvy? Yeah, I mean, um, I just want to say, like, for all the for all the push that, you know, Jewish people need to feel safe and don't feel safe. This attack from like, you know, Israel bombing Gaza is not making Jewish people safe. Just keeping it real. The other thing too, you know, I, I highly doubt uh, Israeli security infrastructure as far as I know, it's considered to be the best in the world. In fact, you know, they train our people here in the government. Uh, they train other other governments. They do uh, counterintelligence on other governments. So they are, you know, probably the best when it comes to security. It's highly doubtable to me that they didn't know that this was coming and that they allowed it to, to, to happen so that they would be able to go and strike against Palestinians in Gaza the way they have. And and that is very demonic because that means they let their own people get killed just so they could go after them, after the, the people in Gaza. Mac. And they they allow that to happen. You know, so so it was it was by choice that they did that. Max Munthal was talking about how during the, the attack he feels there's significant evidence that the the Israelis during their response just blew up and burned and just blew up houses that had both um, Hamas and hostages in them and just said, F it, and just killed them all. Yeah. A lot of the Israelis died, potentially. Now, now the other the other piece of this is what you were speaking about just a little bit ago, Savvy, when you were saying who's controlling our government and APAC, uh, you know, and it's it's very apparent to the everyday person that the folks, with, it, it, not just APAC, but other people that are connected to APAC, have so much influence in what goes on in our whole country. 
uh, everything. You know, the fact that they can go after students just because they're protesting against the government of Israel, that they can say, oh, we're, we're going we're gonna to take back our job offers. I'm, you know, I've never heard of anything like that. Israel is getting a pass on everything. All, you know, our, our rights, they're getting our money, right? The Hawaiian people haven't gotten shit, but the 700, I'm sorry, I cussed, the, the $700 that they got per, per family, and no one's talking about Maui anymore. Nobody, it's okay. No, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's calling. It's okay. <laughs> but, but meaning that it is astounding to me that we, the everyday American, the everyday person that's putting our money into the piggy bank, that the government just blows it off and sends it off across the world to do something we don't want them to do that they shouldn't be doing. And yet, and then here, our infrastructure, we got thousands and thousands of homeless people. We don't have universal health care. Uh, we still have the police state that's getting worse and worse. All these things that are just happening that are bad for us, we're not taking care of them. We're not taking care of our own home. And then we're sending all the money you know, across across the world. It, the system has to be completely redone because it's it's not working. And, and and I do think, you know, one of the things that I do keep tabs is, you know, as I'm, I'm scrolling through IG and whatnot, there's a tremendous amount of people that are not going to vote for Biden from everything that I'm seeing. They're not going to vote for this guy. I mean, that's very apparent. The other point I wanted to bring up was, um, I don't know how, how we call it, the ARAP community. The fact that they've come out and said, hey, we're not going to vote for you, right? We're not voting for you, Biden. We're not going to do this. And they're demanding to, for, the, for, for, for the fire to cease. I almost wish that, more, that there was more of a coalition among black people, people of color, that we would do the same forcefully to say, hey, we're not voting for you guys. We you want both, bud. We want these things for us. You know, here's what you need to do. If you want our vote and that we, I, I wish that there was more of us connecting maybe with the older people who do go out and vote uh, because, you know, connecting it back, connecting this back to Clyburn, the fact that the people that vote for Clyburn, and you tell me if I'm wrong, Savvy, there's a lot of people in South, uh, South Carolina that vote for him who have done for years. So whenever he says something, they just follow him. Yep. It, we need to sort of break that, break that pattern because it's a pattern, you know, it's built into those people that are voting for him. In order to break that pattern, we would have to get ahead of it, you know, and the way that you would have to do it is you'd have to get in front of those people and have a message explaining why you shouldn't vote for him <laughs> or the likes of him. If, if, you know, that's something that we could do if we had more of a movement around other options, uh, be, be, be it the third parties or other movements, what, what have you. But, you know, you're, you're right. I, I think a, a big part of this is the fact of, you know, using using the time that we have. And again, the whole idea about having a moment in a movement, right? Like, um. Roger had brought this up to me and he was like, you know, we might've missed our moment during like the George Floyd protests. And I thought about that for quite a bit. And I was like, you know what? You're right. We really did. Like, uh, you know, it's, so you, you only have a short amount of time and I'll, I'll, I'll pass to you, Noel. We only have a short amount of time to really like 
take hold of the moment while we're we're in it because they don't last long like this is not like the days of the civil rights movements where people are protesting and you know advocating for rights for years right like in its mainstream news we live in a different world now where that doesn't happen and, and some of that has to do with technology and people just going back to you know the typical all right netflix and chill kind of thing um but i th- i think that you know when we do have that moment and opportunity we have to do something with it you know and i'll, I'll go to you noel and i'll come back to eric um i just wanted to say in response to what eric has just presented I wanted to remind him and everybody, America, the United States is a settler colonialist project. And it is supporting the occupation of Palestine by Israel, which is another settler colonialist project. I think it was very telling when Joe Biden said, if Israel didn't exist, we would have had to create it. Because essentially, at the end of World War II, that is essentially what Great Britain and the West did was created. And I think it is serving a dual project because while it serves the purpose of creating this, the only way you can describe it is a very racist project in Israel, an ethnocentric type of society, it is also serving the purpose of creating a foothold and presence for the United States in what is considered the Middle East. And so when you think about the fact that the United States contributes at least $3.8 billion in military aid per year to Israel, this whole occupation is a American project by proxy, just the same way that the situation in Ukraine is an American project by proxy against Russia. It is the same thing. And when I say that this is a plantation nation, I mean it. And by that, or implied in that is, it doesn't matter which of these parties win, this nation has been run this way for as many centuries as it has, not simply because of Democrats or Republican, but because of both. And I promise you, if um, Trump or whoever wins in 2004, I mean, 24, the American foreign policy will look very much similar to what it looks like now with respect to the occupation of Palestine. So, you know, and as you suggest, Eric, oh, if we could get a break in terms of the local issues that we face in this populace between race and gender and all these things. But let's be clear, those things are fomented by the political system to keep us divided and fighting along the lines of race. Because as I've said before, when you get to the elite ownership class, they are more alike than they're unalike. And they come together when it comes to America's economic situation, policies, and especially foreign policy. We've been at war for all these years, not just simply because Republicans support it, because Democrats do too. And so I really think 
you know, we really have lost the moment because we are in such an unstable position now. And I really, you know, I am suspect of this whole October 7th thing, you know, being a naturally occurring thing. I really do think twice because, you know, with technology and Israel by way of American funding is on the cutting edge of certain technologies. I really do kind of find it hard to fathom that the expansiveness of October 7th could have happened with Israel just being totally asleep at the wheel because it serves a greater purpose of igniting this militarism and giving them a reason so it seems to go in and raise that part because as Sabrina has said, there now is understood to be oil in them heels. And so, but they needed a, a what would look like a legitimate reason to go in and raise the land. And it's just, you know, in America is sending, you know, the warships and stuff in that region. But this could be a flashpoint that sets off a real unpredictable set of circumstance in the Middle East altogether, because we all have to be realistic in, in knowing that if those other countries that border Palestine as occupied by Israel see this thing happen, that is not going to stabilize that neighborhood. It is going to further destabilize it. And it will only be a matter of time before there is some type of military um, conflagration going on even if it's not in the same year that they bring this thing to, to some type of resolution, it is going to be ongoing unrest in that region. And here we go again with America somehow finding a route into the oil rich countries. You know, it's always some type of resource thing that they're after. But I think when we consider that within the context of what's going on with BRICS and the multipolarity of the world, I think America is panicking because they realize this is potentially some of their last best chance to do some of this stuff before the world just shifts into something that they honestly have to accept that they can't control and manage. Or else maybe they're just saying, hell, if we have to go out in a hail of flames in a third world war, that's just the way we going to go out. But I think, you know, when I really look at this thing from 30,000 feet, I think we're in a very, very difficult position. And just to close it out, you know, at the risk of sounding anti-Semitic, and I've spoken about this before, it is amazing to me the level of power and control a certain population in this country can wield when you consider the fact that by the numbers, they're one of the smallest minority constituencies here, but they have a very outsized power that you cannot even critique. They have weaponized the critique of how they move. And like I've said before, they have brought down millionaires, they brought down entertainers, they're controlling this narrative. And that's why they can conflate criticism of what, by, you know, just saying land to the sea, they can conflate that 
with something that is anti-Semitic and, and roll on and there's no debate, no question. They just roll on. And they, sh and they have Congress by the throat. Everybody's scared to even move. And that really says something and it's really frightening. You know, because is the U.S. losing its identity because they're being controlled by a very powerful minority? Where have we heard that language before? And so for me, this whole thing is dangerous by the multiples on a number of let me let me jump in there, you know, and I agree with Noel. I like when she started to uh, discuss the multipolarity of how things are going in the world in BRICS, where China is having more common sense in their approach for for the decades to come because they don't want to create conflict. They actually want to, you know, govern more through having multiple parties to some degree. Of course, they want to be. You know, they want to have their own power, so to speak, but they're not seeking to create war. And many of the other countries beyond our borders who, who are somewhat stable in their economies, and even those who are not stable, who've just gotten tired of the U.S. Uh, way of doing things, they're tired of us. Now, we don't see it, but we can't feel it, you know, because we're here in the U.S., Maybe some of the listeners are maybe not here in the U.S., but it's hard for us to see it because we're living here in the U.S. And we have been living here for many decades, many of us, and we've been conditioned by the media. But outside of the U.S., people are probably very tired of us and, you know, including China, including Russia and many others that are in BRICS. And they don't want to have this anymore. And rightfully so. And now. You know, when, when an empire is falling, they'll do what they can to keep a grip of their power. And usually when, when that happens is you're going to try to do it by force. When you can't do it by leveraging a strategy, you're going to use your brute force to get what you want. But now, you know, the U.S. is not going to be able to do that as easily because the rest of the world especially during, after the pandemic, you know, where many people started to disbelieve in the U.S. around the world. That continues today, and even, even more so now with what's happening in Palestine, where more people are saying, hey, we, we're not with this U.S. agenda. We want to have our own way of doing things. And the U.S., you know, is aware of that. And those people in, in power, unfortunately, we don't have any really good leaders in our government at all. We don't have anybody who's willing to think about this in, in a reasonable manner. You know, for many decades, we have not had any really good leaders. And those who we thought that were going to be good leaders like Bernie have revealed to, to be nothing to uh, what we thought they were going to be. I can't see anything but, you know, us were falling into kind of like Rome and all the other empires before that fell. We're at that at that maybe of those beginning stages of we're going to lose all our power. We can't believe it because it's happening right now. And maybe in years to come, we're going to be able to look back. Hopefully it doesn't go the way to the point where we start another world war and we end up losing American lives and many other lives you know, around the world. Hopefully it doesn't go that way, but it certainly can. Like Noel's saying, all it would take is just for a few things to happen and it would, you know, snowball. And the whole thing would just turn into a fire. 
and 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 people from here would go crazy and it, it would just go really bad savvy i'm hoping that that doesn't happen uh but it certainly can but again you know going back to the general what i'm seeing on ig especially <laughs> people are not with 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 israel people are not believing what what they've said that's happened and i could see it on all the posts you know the amount of likes that people get versus the Israeli, pro-Israeli, Jewish, whatever you want to call it. I, I, you know, I'm not anti-Semitic or anything like that, but everything that I'm seeing is the general person, the general people are not buying into what's going, what, what the media is trying to frame. It's, it, you know, because there's so many platforms and there's so many videos of little kids dying and it's undeniable. So that what we have right now, the, the the ability to get this information from multi-sources is making it much easier for us to digest what's really happening. Unfortunately, one of the things that we lose track because the technologies that we have are so quick to give us information and the news cycles happen in matters of hours sometimes. We forget all the bad things, you know, but I'm not forgetting, you know, Biden's done so many bad things, you know, from blowing up the Nord Stream pipeline from not giving us the two thousand dollar checks that he promised, from not giving us the the the, the student, uh, you know, college debt relief, uh, medical debt relief, all the things that we that that he campaigned on, uh, or the things that we wanted, he has done none of those, and a lot of people are not going to forget that come November of next year. I'll, I'll give someone else a chance, Savvy, but go oh go ahead, Savvy. I was just going to say. Um... I just want everybody to know you do not have to, if, if you have the means to do so, feel free to leave this country. And I, I, I say that with all my heart, because even as a working class American, you can leave this country and go live in another country and get a lot more for your money. Talk to Nico, like Nico is in Brazil, like as a working class American, you can live very well in a country like Brazil. But if you get the if you have the opportunity to get the fuck up out of this bitch, don't feel like you have a loyalty to stay in this country. And I say this as someone who has lived in other countries. And it's just the United States government doesn't just police the world. The United States government is has been trying to control the world and they're losing that grip. They're losing that control. And for all the people who continue to talk about Israel and Gaza and what's anti-Semitic and what's not anti-Semitic, none of these pundits have mentioned how Israel is bombing Lebanon and Syria right now. Hamas is not in Lebanon. Hamas is not in Syria. Something to think about. That's right, Savvy. Thank you. I, I oh. want to give the other guys a chance. Oh, kid. Oh, go ahead, Roger. Um, so, yeah, so just like he was, like what you were saying before, Sabrina, about we missed the moment with the George Floyd. Nationally, we did. But like I said before, there were some things that were done in the states where they actually did, did make moves and pass police accountability laws. They just didn't, I mean, they didn't make the main news, you know, unless he was looking for it, which goes back to what I was saying before, a kid, these politicians are not going to do it. Okay. You want to get it done. You got to do it in California. Okay. Right. 
And I, I keep saying that you you already live in a ballot initiative state. You know, um, it's hard, but it's not as hard as New York because we don't have that right. Okay, these guys at Clyburn and all these people and whatever the case is, then I then they're not gonna they're not gonna do it. Okay, we have to do it if we you know if we want to see um, some change. Um, but but also what you was just talking about, Sabrina, about um, these people, you know, politicians saying you're anti-Semitic or whatever. Look, I would just tell them I'm not the one that took our money and sent it to fund the Nazi Azov Battalion that's embedded in the Ukrainian army. Mm. So you got some nerve calling somebody anti-Semitic. Okay. So I would tell them that same thing goes for their supporters who supported that crap. Mm -hmm. So miss me with that. But see, here's the thing, Roger. It's not just about, oh, you know, my feelings are hurt that they said that I'm anti-Semitic or this and that. What we're witnessing in real time is the weaponization. So that it's not just a matter of they say you're anti-Semitic. You get doxxed. These kids are being threatened to not have careers when they finish school. You have people talking about pulling funding from these colleges. You have people careers that have been brought to a halt. And that's what I'm saying. So it's not just as simple as, ooh, let me re you know, respond to this. It is the power behind that to almost see you destroyed. And if your voice is loud enough or you have the platform big enough, like we've seen with Nick Cannon and people like that, if they think that you are some type of threat to whatever it is they're trying to do, they have the wherewithal now to yeah. just shut it down. And you don't get that opportunity to say, well, let me defend myself. Let me explain this and that. They're shutting it down. They have control of the narrative. And it's just like no one's paying attention. But to Eric's point, when you say, oh, we see the people, you know, their narrative is just not being bought like it used to because people are seeing the pictures of the people devastated in Gaza. That's true. But here's the flip side. What does that mean? It almost means absolutely nothing. The fact that you have Biden now saying, oh, we need a pause, this and that. They're responding to the fact that his numbers are tanking so much to they don't they aren't certain that in an election, if Trump is on the other side, that they will be able to pull that out, especially with their falling numbers amongst the minority groups like the blacks. And so and they're seeing, you know, the information which just came out recently that Biden is trailing Trump in a lot of the battleground states. That has got their attention. So they're saying, ooh, we can connect the dots between this and the situation in Gaza. So we have to do something to moderate it and make it seem like we're at least listening. But at the end of the day, whenever the establishment order is threatened, they respond. And just like Roger said, Oh, one of the good things about the George Floyd moment was there were some changes in legislation and policing in certain places. It wasn't really um, promoted as in terms of mainstream media. But the other thing 
is you see this uptick in cop cities and stuff. They're responding to the threat and they're going to criminalize protests. So, you know, like I say, when you look across the spans of this nation's history, every time a significant move has been made on behalf of the working and working poor, the moneyed elite respond and they are relentless and they don't sleep until they can reverse it and or dismantle it. This thing is going this direction intentionally. Is it's not by happenstance that we're in the situation we're in, you know, still fighting for raising the minimum wage and can't get universal health care. Those things are happening deliberately and it is on a bipartisan basis. This really is a plantation. But, but let, let me ask you, Doyle, because I think you're right in what you're saying. I think my point in in saying that more people are aware of what's going on and they truly are at real time. It's happening real time, but you're right. You know, those, this small group that controls so much in the, in the country, especially in the corporate world, you're, you're not going to find people in the corporate world putting their neck out there if they have a decent job or even an okay job because they can be, you know, they can get rid of them pretty easily in any corporation, regardless of what you may think. There's very easy ways if you're connected in a corporation to get rid of somebody. And on top of that, Eric, not only can they do those things to you, but now that media is corporately owned, they can control that narrative. And I know firsthand you they can do whatever they want to do to you. And if you can't get the media to tell the story, you may as well just be screaming in a bottle, screaming yeah, yeah. in a vacuum, because no one will know and they're controlling the entire narrative. And so you don't you don't even get hurt like you did maybe 50 years ago where they would, you know, run and tell the story. We can't even get clarity on Trump's culpability because they're too enamored of what he can do for po for our marketing numbers. So, you know, it's just, it's really crazy when you really, really. Yeah, I mean, I, my, my question to you was going to be, you know, because, you, you know, as you're describing the, 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 the painting the picture of how bad it is, you know, it, it doesn't seem to be a way out. Right. What, what can we do? <laughs> I guess because well, it, the, 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 the enormity of the things that are so bad. And I'll tell you one of the things that happens too, Savvy, really quickly. I have a, you know, one of my really best friends lives in the East Coast uh, that I grew up with, um, and you know, we talk about things. But he's not engaged in the way that I am with politics or just listening to what's going on. But we're about the same age, right? And same, and we grew up together, went to high school and not. One of the things that he always says to me is like, you know, fuck it, man. <laughs> We, we got to just live our own life and do the best thing we can because everything is just going to hell. What are we going to do? And and when I hear him say that, you know, I, I want to say, man, you know, we, we, we can't do that. We, we got to do something. Right. But I hear what he's saying. And a lot of people end up doing that, basically saying, hey, you know what? This is this mess is so big. I'm just going to focus on what I can do for myself kind of thing. Right. And, there's nothing, and then nothing changes. Right. Well, okay. I, what I would say to that is, well, then what if a civil rights activist made that same statement? 
Right. But a kid, you're a it's like you're giving up before you're even trying to actually use these tools that I, are at your disposal. I'm not, no, I'm not giving I mean, up. I'm, I'm just saying, you know, but this is how some people feel. I'm not saying I'm giving up per se. Okay, but, okay, well, whether it's you, your friend, or whatever, like, Cop City was mentioned. So right now, it's I'm looking, and it's been cleared for signature gathering to get on the March 12th ballot next year to... Uh, the Atlanta Georgia Police Training Facility Stop Cop City referendum may appear on the ballot as a referendum in Atlanta on March 12, 2024. Okay, so your friend who was saying he, he don't know what to do or whatever the case is, that's one of that's some bun right there that you can recruit and say, okay, well let's run this ballot initiative to get blah 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 fill in the blank. You, you feel what I'm saying? But you people don't know what to do because most people don't know about this tool, okay? Right. You ha It has to be presented to them before they say, I'm not going to bother voting. You understand where I'm coming from? Right. I mean, they just, we just had an election today. You know what I mean? And uh, there was a lot of good things that passed. Um, the uh, uh, Maine just did, uh, well, they did something with some public debt thing. Oh, so Maine just voted to prohibit foreign governments from spending money to influence elections, okay? They also voted to require voter approval for public utility debt. So anytime the government wants to, I guess, borrow more money to, uh, to, to do something with consumer-owned utility, they have to ask the voters. So that approved, but what did not get approved, unfortunately, is create creating a publicly owned utility company you know the pine trees thing to, to pretty much uh um stationalize their their power to make it a uh, public power so that that was a no by 71 percent but you got to take a look at it that's an odd numbered year probably nobody came out but they did pass right to repair for auto for um for uh, mom and pop auto shops sabrina um, Yay! So that that was main. They um, increase the amount of time state officials have to determine the validity of written petitions. So this initiative would give state election officials more time to validate signatures on petitions to get citizen initiated proposals on the ballot. So I guess the the uh, the, uh, the ballot counting people were getting overwhelmed, so they needed like more time or whatever the case is. Um, it is include all provisions of the state constitution and official print. Okay, I guess that's common. So yeah, so you know there were some things that 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 got passed. Um, we we approved both of ours in New York to uh, to allow small city school districts to borrow more money to finance their schools. And this is all in New York, Roger? No, no, what? No, no. Okay, what I just read before was Maine. What I just read. Is is New York, which is to borrow more money to um, to help small school districts, small city school districts, and to borrow more money to improve the sewage system. I mean, I know that's not sexy, but you know, you don't want no bad sewage. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, not everything is sexy, but I don't think. You know. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, yeah. uh, uh, we Noel already um, told you about Ohio and 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 um. 
I'm not going to say Colorado because because Frank is coming on next to talk about. I asked him to you know talk about that, but Texas passed some. Texas passed all of their initiatives. Or they passed thirteen out of fourteen. One of them was to create the broadband infrastructure fund. Um, only thing is, that's not going to be public. That's some T-Mobile. That's going to be some privatized shit. But, you know, they, they, they passed some stuff, establish a right to farm, garden, and ranch in the state constitution. So what I'm saying is there's a whole bunch of stuff that's getting done, but you, but you got to use the tools at your disposal. You know what I mean? Like this top-down strategy of looking at Congress who ain't going to do anything, you know what I mean? To be like, okay, I mean, unless, of course, you're talking about foreign policy, then you can't you can't run a ballot initiative for that because ballot initiatives are like, you know, for the, for the state or the local city or whatever. Yeah. But what I'm trying to make you understand is, you know how to play chess? A little bit. You know those people? I haven't, that, I haven't, I haven't played it for a long let, time. Let, let, yeah, I know how to play it, but I honestly haven't played it for many, many years. You know those people that just want to depend on their queen to do everything? You can't. And if, they don't, and if, and if you take away their queen, their whole game falls apart. Right. Right? So the queen is like the federal government. Okay? You got all, You got your rooks. You got your bishops. You got your pawns. You got your knights. You got your king. Okay, those are your local measures and those are your state those are your state measures as well. You gotta use all of your pieces on the board. You can't just depend on your queen, the federal government, and expect these guys to they're not gonna do it. That's what I'm saying. That's right. So I I agree with certainly with what Roger's saying about um using all the tools at our disposal. But I I would just I I said it to try to widen it out, widen out the scope and, and maybe even our imagination, you know, at, at what's, what's possible. I mean, if we look at what's the, the core problem here, right, I think there's pretty wide agreement that we have this core problem of this small group of, of top 0.1% of the billionaires who are using their, their money and wealth in their mega corporations to corrupt the system, to inject their billions and billions of money to get it their way. And so you have all these laws and all these things happening that benefit them and screw us. And the key thing in that is, is corruption. These, all these members of Congress in both parties serve them and not up, not us. Why? Because they're corrupt. And so, what I'm trying to put out there is that if we can make that corruption politically toxic, if we can have a movement that really puts that money in corruption at its um, at its core and makes that demand that, you know, we 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 are not going to sit still. We're going to be in the streets. We're going to be. We're going to be in your face. We're going to be calling you out as corrupt until you get the money out and fix the system. And if we can make that into a mass movement, if, for instance, all this whole what's happening now with the anti-war movement and these huge people in the streets, imagine, open our minds a little, imagine if those same people, those same numbers and even more are out there saying we not we only we want not only anti-war, but we want anti-corruption. We want you guys to get the money out and to start serving us and we're not going to vote for anybody unless they're saying um, all these Democrats and Republicans are corrupt and we're going to fix this system and here are the concrete ways we're going to do it, the solutions 
Now, if we can get that going as a movement, I think anything's possible. And I think if we don't get that going as a movement, I think we're going to be stuck very much how we are. I, that's a great, yeah, Eric, That that's a great, great point, that, that if we were to be able to do that and get the money out of... Uh, Always call out, it out. Yeah, and, and call it out, but also make it, you know, so shameful that we, we force them to get it out. It would Totally. It would definitely change it. Um, I, but we're going to have to get in the streets over it. We, we would have to do that. Uh, it, look at how much it's taken for, you know, the folks to get out right now. A lot of people have had to pass away, uh, unfortunately. And why you're in the street. that's what it takes. Yeah. While you're in the street, collect signatures for those initiatives to get on the ballot. Like I said, Maine just passed getting foreign money out of politics. It might not be domestic, but mm-hmm. at least it, it's something. It, it, it builds a block. You, you, you're building building a yeah. block from the ground. Yeah, and demand up. ballot initiatives to get all the big money out. Yep. Uh, okay. Thank you. I want to make sure I get to other people. Um, thanks so much. Okay, let's bring in uh, Frank. What's going on, Frank? Hi, Sammy. What's up? Hi. Hi. Uh, Roger asked me to, to call in about uh, um, Colorado ballot uh, initiatives that were that came out today in the, in the elections. And uh, um, HH, oh, there are two, uh, there are two uh, ballot initiatives. Both came, were statutory and both came from the legislature, which I just lovingly call the legis mobster. And um, both both of um, HH went down in II1. Uh, um, HH was, uh, uh, I think I talked about Tabor before. Tabor has many, many attributes to it. One is a cap on spending um, that it, it could, the government can only grow so fast per year. And, um, you know, that that doesn't do well in, in bad times, but they, they wanted to it was written in a way to remove that cap. So then they could even in good times, you know, they wanted to, you know, and I saw that the Colorado Concerned, um, which is a group of um, the 100 wealthiest uh, people in the state, um, sponsored that bill and I just went nope it, it's it's a game so that they they can suck that money up through privatization to, from the government and they also in it, it was to cut it would it would it, it would have given a tiny small um uh, a tax cut um for for uh property taxes housing property taxes and nothing for renters and um uh taxes in this and Property taxes in Colorado went up between thirty and forty percent this past year, so they're playing this game of uh, here's a little relief. Um, you know, it's 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 generally about five percent, two to five percent, um, you know, depending on depending on your property. So um, it's not much. It's really really a sort of slap in the face. So that that went that went down in II. Was a ballot initiative on. Um, sim- it was also a t- another Tabor issue, but it was income coming from cigarette taxes, and should that b- money uh, be put in as the refund, or should this uh, the should the state 
take that money and spend it um, elsewhere. And, and it was written in a way that it was, they were like, they were giving all the money back to the, to the cigarette companies uh, in the stores that were selling cigarettes. So like, that's not how it works. <laughs> it goes to e equally to all of us. So um, it, but, it, but it did pass so that uh, there is a little more money from um, cigarette taxes that will, that the state will keep for spending. Um, but uh, I did want to also talk about uh, some of the, the, Elijah McLean trials that are going on, and um, yeah. I yeah. did I did see that I, I saw that the the police officer was found, uh, I guess not guilty. Yep, and they what, they split these trials up into three, where they just just had Nathan Woodyard. Um, he was the one who applied the, car the carotid hold uh, for the chokehold on on Elijah that made him pass out and vomit. And, and and set the stage for his death. So because as as a pharmacist, doctor of pharmacy um, has explained to me um, that she didn't think the ketamine killed him in itself. She think it was the whole thing. Um, so uh, after after it, he was weakened so much by that that um, chokehold, um, he didn't have the strength to fight off. Um, the effects of the ketamine. So that, you know, is, is the whole thing that killed him and they should have been tried all in one trial. So what it was, I don't know why the attorney general um, didn't try them all in one, in one but um, they, they're all now playing the game of, no, he did it, he did, no, he did it. And, and so it, it, and it looks, you know, instead of having one trial where they go, no, what, you all had a part of it and we're gonna split up who did it. Um, they're, they're, they all, um, they're all saying the other ones in the other trial did it. So mm -hmm. it's, it's, um, it's, it's a, so that's how Nathan Woodier really got off. And, and he, and he went up on the stand and said, oh, he was all these, you know, tropes of, uh, he went for my gun and there's, there's, it doesn't show on the video. It shows on the video. He didn't go for his gun. Oh, but, but that's the standard. That's the standard. Yeah. Yeah, it is the standard. So he he was saying all all the usual lines, and um, and I I don't know the the makeup of the jury. I didn't go to those trials, but I do plan on going to the next trial, which will start on the twenty seventh. That'll be on the two paramedics. I do, I'm going to try and get to those. Um, and if you want me to report on that for RBN, I can. So, um, but I'm, I'll go up to the to the, um, at least once if I'm going to try and make it every day, but I'll, I'll see how it goes. Um, cause I know quite a bit about the ketamine issue. I did, you know, about 500 core, um, records request on, on, uh, on ketamine itself. So, and yeah, we need more on the ground reporters. Yeah. In this space. So definitely I can do that. Yep. And, okay. and uh, yeah, so I'm interested in to see how that that's going to go with since the two out of the three police officers got off. Um, they had the first trial before Rosenblatt and Rodima. Uh, Rosenblatt got off and Rodima is going to get six months, uh, which is just another slap in the face. And um, the, the mother is being devastated. <laughs> She's 
she's crying at the end of these. But I can imagine. Yeah, I can imagine. All right. Well, thank you so much. Anything else, Frank? Um. Yeah, I just I just filed another appeal today um, on because I got I got arrested with a, a buddy of mine that was serving a lawsuit to the to our alleged mobsters for malfeasance a couple of years ago as as COVID was starting. So uh, uh, they uh, we have it all on video uh, where where the state troopers and the sergeant at arms were stepping in front and blocking us and not following intentionally not following policy. We have all this on video and we have it documented from we asked for their training logs and they weren't even they haven't even been trained in anything. So I had to file a a, um, a 50 page appeal today. And um, because the first one was all the, the judge rigged everything, committed perjury in every step because they all I'm asking is to train the state troopers and sergeant in arms and basic laws of the building, like what's trespassing, um, you know, when can you ask for a driver's license and, or ID, you know, basic things, and they're not trained in them at all. <laughs> so they're fighting that so that they don't even have to train their cops on, on um, and I, I would like, I would like the, the building so people can go in there and not be harassed by cops who, you know, no laws <laughs> and treat it like the people's house. Oh, man. Oh man, a lot going on there, Frank. I don't know Colorado was wilding like that for real. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's a corrupt place. <laughs> and I got another one due um, tomorrow um, that I'm doing with an attorney, and that one is that is to get rid of MPAC. And uh, it's the same exact judge. She copied and pasted the conclusion from my state trooper case and put it into the. Um, the impact case and to, it's to get rid of impact, but she copied and pasted it, and that proves that she's targeting me um, and doesn't want me uh, in the court system. She even wrote in there and both of them, Mr. Sturgill is well known to the, to the judiciary. He has filed 11 lawsuits in state court and four in federal. Like, so what? <laughs> and one, one of the defendants um, for the, um, the legis mobsters was actually uh, uh, called me called me um, uh, a serial litigant. <laughs> like, good. I'm, I'm thinking I'll call me an attorney because that's what an attorney is. <laughs> it's, it's a wow. joke, but uh, we're trying to get rid of that, and we've had the same judge lying and committing perjury on, on in both cases. So, if we have an honest appeals court, we'll get rid of the the impact and in. Um, who was the mastermind behind Elijah McLean and, and a few others deaths too. And including the, my attorney, uh, her boyfriend, um, but he came, he was resuscitated, but yeah, that's all, that's all I have. And if you, if you want me to uh, report on that, um, you know, um, tell, tell me the best way to do it. If, if you, you know, all right. Next couple of weeks. Awesome. Thanks so much, Frank. Okay, thanks. All right, I'm going to go to Brady, Janice, and then I'm going to come to you, Roger. Um, what's going on, Brady? Just got to unmute. What's up? Oh, Brady, we can't, I can't hear you. I don't know. Um, 
I'm not sure what happened, but I can't hear you. I can invite you to speak. I'm going to go to uh, Janice. What's up, Janice? Hello. Hello, can you hear me? Hello? I can hear you. Sorry about that. Yeah, I missed the entire show today, or most of it, because I was at work. But um, I have been noticing a couple trends, like uh, the talking heads are using the the term, oh, what is it? Perception is reality, mm-hmm. which is kind of backwards. It's more like um, reality informs perception. Mm-hmm. So... I'm not very good with public speaking. I get very nervous, so I apologize about this. Oh, it's okay. Like, take your time. Like, everybody on here is pretty chill. (laughs) Yeah, I do a lot better with, like, super chats and, and, like, in the chat writing. I'm just not good with speaking. But um, as to the Bernie Sanders thing, I think that he was always corrupt and always faking it just pretending to to be for these issues when he had no backing and now that yeah and now that he is in a position because if you look at his vote record he's like yugoslavia you know oh so like i i honestly think that he was just larping and then it got away from him and he actually built a movement on accident Mm. This is interesting. I mean, even when I listen to like Bernie's like messages from or actually some of his like interviews and speeches from like back in like the 70s or 80s, very different. He was more radical then than he is now. Oh, definitely. But I think that back then he didn't really have a strong following. And he knew that a lot of the positions that he took weren't going to pass Congress anyway when he got into Congress. Like maybe when he was the mayor, he was a little bit more authentic in his positioning. But once he got into Congress, you know, he he knew that he wasn't going to get anything that he suggested or anything that he proposed pushed through. So he felt safe in taking those positions because he knew they weren't going to happen anyway. That's a really good point, Janice. I also want to point out to people, um, for those of you who have never been to Burlington, Vermont, Burlington is a different type of place, okay? And like, and I live in Massachusetts, and there are parts of Massachusetts that can be pretty earthy, that kind of thing. But Burlington and Vermont is a, Vermont in itself is a different type of thing. And you just have to go there to see it. Like, so I usually go there once every summer. I have friends that live in Vermont. But it's, it, it's, it's just, the people there are a little bit more free spirited. Does that make sense? So I, I think that like, Bernie can do really well in a a city like Burlington. If Bernie was Bernie and he was trying to run in Boston, Bernie would not win. Mm-hmm. And I say that, and there are, you know, Boston has a pretty progressive presence, 
But even Boston, Massachusetts isn't as progressive as Burlington, Vermont. And that's what people have to understand. So going to Burlington is like going to Asheville, North Carolina. It's like going to like these mountain communities that tend to be a little bit more progressive. Although there, there are Trump supporters in Burlington too, don't get it twisted. But for the most part, like tend to be a little bit more progressive. Part of that has to do with the University of Vermont, which is also in Burlington. Um, but that's, it's a very different atmosphere, what you get in those mountain communities versus what you get in the coastal cities on the East Coast. And there's progressivism in the coastal cities on the East Coast, but it's different because we are still very much, um, like in, in Boston, people live on top of each other, meaning that Boston is very dense. Same thing with New York City, same thing with DC, you know, like the same thing with Seattle, like Bernie does really well as a presidential candidate, you know, when in, in those types of places. But if you notice, Bernie Sanders was able to win a state like uh, California in the Democrat primary. He beat Joe Biden, like in, in California. Notice he didn't beat Joe Biden in Massachusetts. Yep. Even California is a little bit more progressive when you compare it to Massachusetts. This is true. So this is what people have to have to really understand. Sometimes I realize I look back on it and I think like maybe we thought we were bigger than we are. I don't think that I think that there's actually more of us than than there are of you know like the conservative mindset like when you look at how the issues poll the issues every every single poll shows that the issues are more like popular opinion is more for progressive issues than it is for conservative issues but people are just too propagandized to actually understand or make the right decisions with regards to representation, with regards to even just having conversations with strange, with other people. Like they, they don't know how to present what they're trying to present because they're so brainwashed from the media telling them one thing or, you know, like this is like the grass is green when it's brown, you know? But you know what, Janice, that's the reason why I say we in those states that can do it, we need to put these things on the ballot. You yep. see what I'm saying? Because pe that's people, you put the policy in front of them, you know, there's a good possibility that they'll vote for it. And, 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 and another, another reason, you leave it up to politicians, they do this 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 trick where they'll pass it, but they leave a string attached. You know what I mean? Like, um, I'll leave a ton of strings attached. The, By the like, time it actually gets gets implemented, it does nothing. Right. So our governor here in New York, so there was this bill that they was passing, that the legislature was passing. It had to do with climate change. And it was um, the New York Power Authority, which is the largest uh, state power in the country. And mm -hmm. it was to put New York 
on the path toward public um, power, okay? Right now we're doing it kind of patchwork because we're municipalizing power out here in Long Island. It'll be municipalized like Long Island suburbs and Far Rockaway, Queens will be fully municipalized by 2025. But I'm so jealous. What, what's that? Oh, oh, I am so jealous. So here's the thing. Um, they passed this this thing for the state to to put us put to put the entire state on a path toward public power, right? Now, what the what Governor Hochul did was the very thing that would like really make it strong. There was a provision in there to make sure that labor and um, environmentalists were on the decision-making board, okay? She left them out. Oh. Okay, so this is what I mean, and, and it's, it's something else. Everyone was talking about Gavin Newsom passed a, this, a public banking into law, but he said that they have to be, um, he said they have to be like a member of, uh, have to like be a member of FDIC, which is completely that defeats the purpose. It's unnecessary. Exactly. Exactly. It's like, like no, a public bank is its own DIC. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, so it's, you know, like you leave it up to them and they go, we're going to turn it, you know, I'll do a bait and switch. Matter of fact, um, we was, I was talking about right to repair. Our governor did something where they had passed right to repair and yeah, his digital fair repair act it had to do with electronic stuff or whatever. The mm-hmm. bill was perfect. And then she switched it around after it passed both chambers. And it was it, it was pretty I forgot the complexity of it, but it would still leave it it still put the hands it still didn't put the power in the hands of the mom and pop shops. It put it it still left it in the hands of the powerful. You how, what I'm saying? how 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 is it legal for her to do that? It's are, not. No, no, are, you're, you're right. It's not. But is New York a recall election state? No, but oh, he, that he, sucks. But, but 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 here's the thing. What I'm saying, the legislature can say no. You can't do that. What the hell? Like we can't pass something and you just change it around. But because they're all part of the same party and. Just They're all along. corrupt as fuck. Excuse my yeah, language. They just go along and that's it. I mean, whatever, whatever. You feel what I'm saying? So, I mean, right now we have a, an, an amendment to make us a citizen ballot initiative state. So I'll see how what comes of that. But you know what I mean? But that's what I'm saying. It's going to it's going to have to be us. We're going to have to get more states the ability to be able to do that. Yeah, New Jersey is kind of, well, it's a ballot initiative state, but the state legislature has to put it on the ballot. Well, okay. All states are ballot initiative states. Um, It's just that half of them allow citizens to put initiatives on the ballot. Yeah, New Jersey just doesn't really allow... I I don't believe New Jersey. No, no, it doesn't. The only states on the East Coast that allow you to do that is Maine, Massachusetts, and Florida. That's it. So all states are ballot initiative states, legislative ballot initiatives, where the legislature puts an amendment or a law before you to vote on. But that's you amending their thing. That's not you putting your own on, on the ballot to amend and pass your own thing. Yeah. 
I'm wondering how we would go about making each of these states ballot initiatives. Because you, if the legislature what, has to put it on to begin with, how can we vote on it? You know? You gotta get the you gotta get your legislature to to extend that power. So they would have to introduce an amendment to your state constitution and and pass it in both chambers, then put it before you as a legislative referred constitutional amendment, a legislative initiative to amend the state constitution. And then the voters would ratify it. Then you have the power to do it. So you have to get them to give you, to extend that power of lawmaking and amendment power to you. So that's the trick. Yeah, and a lot of them are not going to do that. And so, so the, the public power, by the way, um, Nebraska is the only state, just like how um, North Dakota is the only state with a public bank, Nebraska is the only state that has uh, statewide public power. And they got that way um, in 1930 because the voters decided to run a ballot initiative because they saw that the, the, the legislature, Nebraska legislature was like corrupt and bought off by the monopolized power, um, whichever, whatever the power was called. They said, you know, we'll just do it ourselves because we can't depend on these politicians to do it. So they've been operating on public power since 1930. It's I would love for New Jersey to do that. The The power companies in New Jersey are insane. Like, um, I have solar panels on my house. I'm not allowed to have 100% of my electricity provided by my solar panels. I still have to be connected to the grid. I'm only allowed to have like 80% of it. You know, like if I go over 80% of my power, I it, it's bullshit. Mm-hmm. Like, the they the energy companies have such a powerful lobby in New Jersey and they have monopolies but they're not labeled as monopolies because there's so many different ones but they each have their own area that they provide power for and that's it like there's no competition right oligopoly yep it's insane Mm-hmm. Maine just defeated uh, public power, by the way, in the ballot initiative. Yeah. I'm going to have to cover oh, um, awesome. Ohio update and um, Wyoming on Thursday. We also got two guests coming on Thursday. And I also got another big, oh, Thursday's going to be a big show. Because I got a, I got two other big stories that I need to discuss on Thursday as well. Uh, but Dan Cohen and uh, Miko Polite are going to be here uh, Thursday together. So that should be a very educational discussion in respect to uh, Israel and Palestine. It's really interesting because last time Miko came on, that was before October 7th. And then this kicked off. So it'll be interesting to hear uh, what else he has to say this time. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Anything else, Janice? I'm sure I I had something else I wanted to say, but I, I forgot. <laughs> it's late. I've been awake since 6 o'clock this morning. Listen, I've been up since 6, too. I was at the uh, gym at 6.30. Oh, no, I was uh, busy. <laughs> Any thoughts on RFK? Oh, he's a piece of... Never mind. <laughs> he's a piece of work. 
I have no interest in him whatsoever. I think that he's he's dangerous. Like he he's he's running. He he's really popular with a certain type of person, and he's running. But he he his positions are so old fashioned and out of date that it makes no sense. I would love for Corner West to be a little bit more serious. I don't think he's in touch with the younger people. He's another one. I don't think he's in. I feel like Dr. West has found a way to become like Dr. West has always found a way to gravitate towards the needs of the younger generation and obviously his generation. And I feel like RFK Jr. really is not trying to appeal to the younger generation. That is something I've noticed. Yeah. He he's not he he's all like his positions, especially on foreign policy, which is one of the main things the president is responsible for, are so outdated. Like his his stance on Israel is nuts. Like, how could anybody support that? You know, genocide is not something that we should do. People who just care about COVID. Yeah, but that's a selfish person. Like, they don't care about anything unless it affects them personally, which is stupid. But I think... I'm sorry. No, I was just saying, I think RFK Jr. is not... His candidacy has not been conceived of around a set of policy um, platforms that he really believes in. I think... He and his team are strategically trying to capture the interests of disaffected Democrats, Republicans, and um, Libertarians. And I think they're consciously saying, okay, we can be for this policy because it will bring us more with this group than we would lose with that group. That's how it feels to me, that they're weighing all of their policy positions on not whether it is humane or moral or ethical or for the, it's like, how can we capture the most of the disaffected aspects of all of the various constituencies? Because he has certain things that he puts out that is appealing to Republicans, certain things that are appealing to libertarians. And I think it's such a, um, admixture of things till there's no coherence to it. The only coherent thing is he's trying to get capture the disaffected um, sentiments of a lot of people. But his his campaign otherwise really to me lacks a type of coherence or cohesiveness with respect to the policy alignments. And I wanted to say I think you're right about Bernie Sanders. I think Bernie Sanders, it was easy for him to rant when he was just a uh, member of Congress. But when he got out there and his rants captured the imagination of the public, I think he was driving a very big car that he was not prepared. And I think he really did not understand the impact of his language around revolution and this and that. And once that jumped off, that's when he backed off and was like, oh, it's your revolution 
because he knew he was not going to um, move in a revolutionary way. So he's been a big fraud and eventually it has come to, you know, bear fruit. Yeah, it's it's always easy to like the Democrats do it all the time. And he is effectively a Democrat, whether he uh, identifies as one is not. He's a Democrat. And they always take positions when they have no power to actually make it happen. But the moment they're in power, they don't do shit. They That's do right. jack, like they do nothing. They're like, oh, they they got all quiet on whatever issues that they ran on or whatever issues that they were so vocal about when they didn't have the power. The moment they have the power, they're like, wait, what? You want me to work for you? <laughs> Dennis, they don't do anything but get in line and march in accordance with the orders. <laughs> mm-hmm. Exactly. And their orders are all coming from the same people that the Republicans orders are coming from. And they've been coming from since 1976. Buckley versus Vallejo equated money with speech. That's right. Maybe there's something you could do in New Jersey. Start, start looking there. Yeah, I've, I've been wondering about potentially getting a, an actual definition of what money is as a unit of trade. So that could kind of eliminate Citizens United, um, McCutcheon versus FEC. Yeah. Buckley versus Vallejo. I think the only way to really fix it is, is with the move to amend style constitutional amendment that, that just simply says it. Money is not speech. Corporations are not people. Mm-hmm. I think that that really needs to be a big a big part of of any real movement. I this think is so true. Too. I you think know, so too. Oh, go ahead, Roger. You know, if we got, um, you know, if we got were to get Eric, forty states, I, like you only really need like thirty eight, right? But forty states, right? To um, to be citizen ballot initiative states specifically for amendments, okay? And then you draft a citizen ballot initiative amendment that says, that tells that forces the um, the state legislature to call for a constitutional convention to, uh, to introduce a resolution to the uh, U.S. Constitution that would um, allow voters from across the country to place a, uh, a national ballot initiative amendment, okay, to allow voters from around the country to 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 run uh, amendments, to run initiatives as amendments to the U.S. Constitution and to the federal government. I mean, to the for federal law and to repeal federal law as well. That could be a um, that's that that would be like a, a a strategy to do to get money out of politics. You could you could also have one where so you know there's two ways to amend the U.S. Constitution, right? It's when the it's when Congress places a, a passes a resolution introduced to the states and asks the states, can you ratify this? Can you sign off on this so that we could um, amend the Constitution? There's no time limit on that. The last amendment that we passed in 92, it took like 200 years 
that was first introduced like 200 years before that. But the other way, which was what, you know, Jane Kugel was trying to do with his wolf-pack.com thing is when it starts with the states. How do you get the states to start it? One way to do it, you draft an amendment through a, through a, a ballot initiative amendment on your state constitution that forces your uh, state legislature to do that. If you were to get 38 to 40 states to do this, then you can enact change from below. You feel what I'm saying? So bottom that up. Would, that's actually a really good idea. Another thing that we would, should really look into doing is um, expanding Congress. Because with, um, with, with how... With how we have, um, uh, with technology the way it is, Congress doesn't have to be in Washington, D.C. They they literally only have to meet in person in D.C. like two to three times a year. That's a good point. So they could stay in their their communities and actually answer to their constituents and just work from, you know, they can vote from their offices in their districts. That's pretty interesting. Get yeah. stay, out, stay out of Washington. Exactly. It would I make it a lot more difficult to... for lobbyists. We got Zoom. I think you're on to something here, Janice. Like, why do they need to actually physically be there? Yeah, we got uh, remote work. For, for, what is it, four days a week? I think they're there four days a week or something. Five? Yeah. yeah. We got Zoom, right? We we have Zoom. We have, we have oh, what the hell is that? Um... It's that secure thing. I can't remember what it is. But, but didn't they do this? Didn't they do this during the pandemic? Like for for I yeah. think for the elevated part of the pandemic, weren't they doing this remotely? Yeah. You the, know who would the be- technology is? The technology is there. Not only that, if we expanded Congress, like if we limited the number of constituents they have to like a hundred thousand, it would be a lot harder for them to gerrymander entire communities out of their voting rights. But you know what? You, well, one, you know who, who would be very happy if we did that? What Congress people and senators would be very happy if we were to do that? The Any? Ones, the ones from Hawaii, Alaska, California, Washington State, and Oregon. Think about how far they got to travel to D.C. This is true. Yeah, you're right. Oh, and also um, Texas. Yeah, Texas is not as far as Hawaii, Alaska. That's true, but but Arizona, like it, it, these are really good points. If you don't live on the East Coast, like that's a pain in the ass to travel back and forth. Because remember when Ro? I don't know if all of you were with me when I interviewed Rokana, but remember what Rokana said? He said like on the weekends they go home back to their states. Could you imagine having to travel it like back and forth, like? I'm to go to California is a seven-hour flight. Six. Yeah, but that, that's ridiculous. How much time are you spending with your family? And then add three more hours for Hawaii. Oh, that's, that's right. Crazy. That's right. And how many hours for Alaska? <sighs> I would also introduce, you know, something else I would introduce, Janice. Um, remember what I just told you about how, uh, so the last amendment, the, the 27th Amendment? Yeah, 
27th Amendment that they passed in 92, it's to raise their salaries, right? But they don't Mm -hmm. get to cash in until the next election, right? So that was on the books for like 200 years, right? Yeah. I would introduce an amendment. uh, I would introduce a, a citizen ballot initiative amendment to the state legislature that says the moment that Congress puts an amendment before the state's for you to for you to ratify, you take it up immediately. But before you vote on it and take it up, you have to make a copy of it and present it to the voters of your state as a legislative referred constitutional amendment, asking us how would we like you to vote on what Congress introduced? Absolutely. You know what's really funny? The First Amendment wasn't supposed to be the First Amendment. The First Amendment was supposed to limit the number of constituents a congressperson can have. Really? Yep. I think it passed um, It passed Congress with uh, at maximum 50,000 constituents. But then it passed sen- Senate and they changed one word and changed the entire meaning. So you was talking about gerrymandering before. I guess you were talking about like partisan gerrymandering more than uh, gerrymandering in, in general, like, yeah. So Newark, Newark is, um, is a pretty big town in New Jersey mm-hmm. and it's all represented by one representative. If there's mm-hmm. like, if if it was like 50,000, they would have three representatives. So I was going to say, as far as where partisan gerrymandering is concerned, something, I got something that can fix partisan gerrymandering. It can stop voter suppression laws. It can stop all the, the you know, like all the stuff that has to do with voting. It would be introduce an amendment to abolish all political parties. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Think about how many problems that would solve because there's no party to gerrymander for. Once there's no parties also, all those voter suppression laws, everyone's vote would be up for grabs. Mm-hmm. So it's not like, oh, we got to stop those group of people from voting over there because they vote for the other party. You know, everybody's up for grabs. You would eliminate so many problems if, if you got rid of uh, uh, the parties. Like, I don't know if anybody knows this, but you, you know the reason why the Republicans captured the House last year, right? It was because of New York. What do because, you mean? Because what happened was, so in 2014, um, Cuomo pushed for a, um, he, he pushed, you know, cause like Cuomo was, you know, it, what Cuomo wants, Cuomo gets, right? So uh, he had, what do you call it? He had um, the legislature put an amendment before us that we ratified that they said it was an independent commission that would deal with um, uh, 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 redistricting, okay? And the thing was, it wasn't really independent because the uh, the Senate majority leader and the minority majority leader and the Speaker of the Assembly and the minority speaker in the Assembly, they all got to pick 
their people to put on there. And then those people would pick like independent people, you know, people who's been independent for like 10 years or whatever the case was. Anyway, I was just like, that doesn't really make any sense. You just put all independents on there that have been independent for 10 years. But anyway, so what happened was um, I knew this was going to happen. So the first time it was put to test to the test was after the 2020 census thing, because the the redistricting is based on the census, right? So in 2021, when they went to um, redraw the districts, the independent commission could not come to an agreement, okay? They did it again, couldn't come to agreement. So the legislature took, the New York state legislature took control of it and gerrymandered the fuck out of it. They, and, and what happened was they got the Republicans took them to court and they got a, a conservative uh, justice j- judge or whatever from upstate to uh, say, uh, no, y- y- y'all, y'all messed up on it. Like, no. So he appointed a special master to um, to redo the districts and it kind of like threw the districts out of whack. That's and you notice that in the House, they only got. Um, the, the House, the Republicans, how many, what's the majority? They got, they got the majority, they're like four, two, three, four, something like that. That was because people left New York and we lost a congressional district to Florida. And when the special master redid it, right? When the special master re- redid it, it gave more seats to the Republicans, which caused them to get the House last year, Okay. So what happened was the the governor tried to pay this because I think because the governor used to be a congressperson. So I think the Senate Majority Leader Schumer probably called up because I, I, Schumer got more power than the governor in this state because I think it was him that told Cuomo, you got to go, you know, after all these allegations and things of that nature. So I'm pretty sure she got a talking to by Chuck and probably by Nancy too, be like, yo, you got to fix this shit. So there was a, um, there was, they put a legislative initiative on the ballot. I forgot what it was about. Um, oh, I think it was same day registration or what it might've been same day registration. Or, I forgot what it was. Right. So it was, it was, it was, it was, it was a way to be like, okay, okay, okay. Cause was, they was like, I guess it was like, I got to get the house back. That, you know, because I fucked up, <laughs> you know what I mean? So what happened was we voted it down and then the Democrats said, oh, fuck it, we're going to pass it anyway. So because they're trying to pass it before um, before the 2024 elections, because in order to put an initiative on the ballot, it has to pass the legislature twice with one even year election in between. So they don't have enough time to do it the right way. So they're trying to pass they pass this law, which is unconstitutional to the New York state constitution. I forgot what, what the law was, but it was something that we voted down uh, last year or no, in 2021 and say, nah, we don't want that. So they're in court right now, but that's what it is. She's trying to, you know, I guess Chuck and Nancy called her up and said, yeah, you, you fucked this up for us. You, you better do something about this and do something about this now. Wow. That's bullshit. Like, if you voted something down, they shouldn't be able to pass it. Well, the Republicans are suing them, and they're probably going to win because it's an unconstitutional law anyway. 
Yeah. I hate yeah. Republicans winning too. I hate both of them winning. Well, I will say this. What warms my heart is uh, I will say the fact that we're we're trying to find other options. I mean, and I think that makes me feel some kind of way. You know, I think it's great that we're all like trying to like look at other things that we can do and not just rely on or hope. I guess I shouldn't say rely on or hope that the president or Congress will do what they're supposed to do. You know, oh, they're freaking useless. a lot of people are just waiting on that, like especially people that don't organize or are not involved in activism. They really are just relying on that, you know? Yeah. Well. I know one thing. I'm hoping that by next spring, I'll have uh, enough raised beds that I can start a garden, like a community garden on my property. So. All right. I want to bring in um, other people, if that's okay with you. Um, Absolutely. James. It was nice talking to you. It, it, thank you for listening and giving me a chance to speak and not hanging up on me when I started tripping over my tongue in the beginning. Oh, no worries. This is a judgment-free zone unless, like, you come in with some bullshit. I've had to check a couple people sometimes, but other than that, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I really appreciate RBN in general. You guys have opened my eyes to a lot of things. You know, I'm a middle-aged white woman from the suburbs. <laughs> you know, I... I don't know well thank you for saying that because like you know for those who are not aware recently we were kind of criticized uh by another net another black network that basically was like we're seeking out white viewers like we never sought out white viewers but it just so happened that white people found us and we've gotten a lot of like comments back from people who told us that like listen like i didn't know about a lot of this stuff that you guys yeah. are talking about and thank you for like educating me about this. It was mail-in voting. That's what we struck down. Awesomeness. And they passed it anyway <laughs> after we struck it down. So that's, that's what it was. They probably passed okay. it because it'll be easier for them to see, Oh, this didn't come in by the deadline or it wasn't postmarked by the deadline or whatever. It doesn't matter. It's a it's an unconstitutional law, so it's going to get struck down. That's good. Anyway, thank you so much. It was a lovely conversation. You, you're all wonderful people. Thank you so much. Um, let's pivot to actually Ashura. You already spoke. I'm going to jump to Nick, and then I'll come back to you, Ashura. I'm going to jump to Nick, and then I'll go to Brady and then Case. What's up, Nick? Just got to unmute. I see a free Assange shirt. That's pretty cool. If Nick is there. Nick, are you there? Nick, are you there? Are you present? Let's jump to Brady. Brady, what's up? Just got to unmute. I think we lost Nick. I don't know. I think Nick said he was going to bed. And I think Brady said he was at an open mic. So <laughs> Okay. Um, well, good night, Nick. Good night. Case of the QB, what's up? What's going on, everybody? Much love to you. Much love to the chat. Can you hear me? I, I'm using Bluetooth. 
Okay, let me turn off my Bluetooth. Hold on one second. Underwater. Okay. Uh, can you hear me now? Uh-oh. Now you're breaking up bad, please. Can you hear me now? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Still breaking up? Sorry. No, you're fine awesome, now. Awesome. Yeah, much love to you. Much love to the chat. What's up, everybody? Eric, Roger, Noel. And um, Brady's playing some music somewhere. Um, yeah, I wanted to just jump in here and talk about much love to the chat, of course, as usual. I saw a couple um, clips where people are talking really hitting TikTok. They're like, they're so mad at TikTok for educating the young people, the youth um, of, you know, the Palestinian plight and what's going on. And they can't get through the propaganda. They can't control the narrative. I saw it on CNBC. Um, where else did I see it? So it's somewhere else too. So that's something to look out for. They, you know, they've been trying to come for TikTok for a while, saying it's a Chinese um, propaganda application. The guy, and... the guy who owns it is from Singapore. <laughs> yeah, All exactly. Asian people don't look alike. We got to they... stop it. <laughs> exactly, but I think it's really because they probably, you know, did was trying to do what they did to Instagram, to um, Facebook, to X or Twitter, now X, um, where they try to intimidate them into cooperating with the FBI and, X and other alphabet agencies. And maybe TikTok was like, hey, you know what? We're not going to cooperate. Or maybe they're saying, hey, you need to give us a, um, not a warrant. Uh, what's it called? I can't think right now. Um, you know, to get probable, probable cause. You have to, you know, show some documentation. And I think they didn't like that, you know, so uh, I'm really curious. And maybe their algorithm is is, is a, a, a truthful algorithm instead of suppression um, that you can find on Twitter. As I, I see, I'm behind a um, paywall or not a paywall, a disclaimer wall on, on Twitter and et cetera. So it's, it's really interesting to see um, how the media is going to attack TikTok. And um, the other thing I want to talk to you about real quick. So I had two very big viral videos. The one was uh, Clyburn. I think you and you touched on that today. But did you see the other one, which is at like 100,000 plus and it's still going uh, with with uh, on MSNBC? The guy said the secret weapon of the Democrats is Kamala Harris. Did you see that, Sabrina? Um, I was gonna show it Thursday, but yeah, I saw it. <laughs> okay, I'm looking forward to your comment, your commentation on that, because I mean, when I saw that, I was like, oh, I gotta clip this right, right away, because this is just buffoonery. Like these guys are in a bubble, um, big time bubble. And then the the last thing I'm I'm gonna say, oh, the last two things I want to say, because um, you did mention how that other network was attacking RBN. And I remember I was listening. So I, I do listen. I'm at, I'm at work. So sometimes that's why sometimes I, I jump in at the end because I'm afraid of if I jump on early, I would get a call. And then if I take that call, somebody might call on me and I'm paranoid that you guys going to be like, hey, case, case. And then I'm not answering because I'm on a call. So that's why I'd like to jump in towards the end recently. But um, I, I'm in the chat listening, though, definitely. And last time I was listening to your last calling, where you talked about the other organization, the other network that um, had beef with you guys. And, and I, I, one thing that you said was that 
you were discouraged with from working with other people or new people. And I just want to tell you as um, not a consistent creator, but as somebody who does create, I want to encourage you to still try to work with other people if you can, because we do need humble people and like yourself <clears throat> who, you know, you're doing this call in, you're getting bigger and bigger and you're still, you feel like, you you feel like um or I feel like you're ours. You're like ours as in the audience. Like we can reach out to you on, on call in, you know, Kyle Kalinsky's not doing this, all the other big channels. They're not you can't talk to them. It's, it's a one way uh communication. It's just them talking to the audience. We're here, you make yourself available. And and um yeah, when there's other people that, you know, potentially you can chat with, I would encourage you give them a chance and I hopefully the, that organization, the other network, I can't. What is it, Black Power Network? I forgot the name of it. Um, hopefully, they don't discourage you too much. That's what I want to say. Okay, thanks so much. That's really yeah. sweet. Yeah, yeah. And the, the last thing that I did say too, the, the last last thing, and then I'm gonna jump off. Uh, you said uh, to leave the country, and I, I had my wife has that opinion. She's like, she wants to go to another country, and she wants to. Um, she's more open while me my opinion is i don't want to be the victim of american foreign policy meaning like nico much love to my guy that's my guy he's in brazil but shoot we might do a coup in brazil they they you never know where you're going to end up and then you end up being a a, um victim of american foreign policy so my thing is and i tell my wife i'll say i'm going to stay here and i'm going to fight for this country whether it's through electoral politics whether it's through ballot initiatives like Roger's always preaching about, whether it's through mutual aid, I'm going to try to be a soldier here so that I can make the world safe from America. That's just my opinion, but I um, I agree with this. You know, there's times I'm like, I'm going back to Barbados. That's where my parents are from. I'm like, I'm going back. I got my dual citizenship. I'm going over there. But um, my opinion is I'm, I'm going to stay here and fight. So much love to you. Much love to the chat. And uh, everyone have a good night. Thanks so much, Case. I'm going to play something for you guys because this is how I feel about the Democratic Party. Hold on. Let me pull up my thing. This is honestly how I feel. Oh, shoot balls. Okay, there it is. Um, About the Democratic Party. How, how are you just going to log me out? Like, dude, like, how does that even work? Oh, wait, nope. I don't want to add myself. I'm glowing in the dark. Okay, there we go. Okay. Alrighty. Um, do they know? Okay, yeah, it does. Okay. Guys, this is how I feel about the Democratic Party. I want you to listen to this. Let me make sure I got the volume up. Hold on. Some of you are going to laugh because um, you're familiar with this. <laughs> you might be familiar with this scene. But um, this is honestly how I feel. Let me make sure. Let me go back a little bit. Just a little bit. Okay. It was that mule, Paul. Old Joy. Then Old Joy the mule, I tell you, I was out to try to plow that north field. And the mule just went crazy. He started kicking and bucking, getting it right there. Bust my eye, bust my lip. Oh, my life, I had to fight. I had to fight my daddy. I had to fight my uncles. 
I had to fight my brothers. Girl, child ain't safe in a family name. But I ain't never thought I had to fight in my own house. That's how I feel. Did you guys hear that? That's how I feel about the Democratic Party. Especially when I was still a Democrat. So the so w- was it on purpose that you chose one when they was talking about getting kicked by a donkey? Since no, it, donkey. it wasn't. I was just thinking about the whole like, I didn't even think about that, um, Roger, but that's a good point. I was just thinking about the whole like thing about fighting in your own house. You got kicked by the donkey. Yeah, and it just, it's like, 22 Democrats voted against, excuse me, 22 Democrats voted in favor of Rashida Tlaib being censured. So she probably feels the same way. Go ahead, Noel. You know, I was um, just thinking lately I've been saying a lot, quoting the Jasmine Sullivan, your lies ain't working now. Because just, I feel like they've really lost control of the overt narrative and and certain truth are seep, seep, seeping through, but um, it keep putting it out there. But I'm also reminded of a quote from an activist from I think it was the 19th century, Lucy Parsons, who said, "Never be deceived in thinking that they will allow you to vote their wealth away." And it's just like. We this whole America to me at this point reminds me of what the society must have been like in Britain when the so-called settlers were leaving. We've come and reimagined the same thing and created the same set of conditions that the original people were trying to get away from. Um, but we just really do need a reimagining of the whole way we govern ourselves as a people, because for some reason we keep slipping into things that allocates money and power to a few at the top and the masses suffer. Every which way you look is that same paradigm over and over and over. And I'm saying we need to somehow get away from that whole thing. And I know capitalism in this country is the root of it. But I'm just like all across humanity, it just seems like we don't peacefully coexist and, you know, honor everybody's life. It always ends up with a cabal at the top and the mass is struggling, you know, to survive. Yeah, and that's a good point, Noel. And I should have mentioned to people that was from The Color Purple um, and that was Oprah Winfrey uh, confronting Whoopi Goldberg. So. That's what that was. Sorry, I should have said that. <laughs> Ashura, what's up? Just got to uh, unmute there. I thought it was that the black woman that did that skit with Ukraine, Russia, and China. I thought that was her talking. <laughs> no, that was Oprah Winfrey back when she was uh, um, had a little bit more meat on her. But mm-hmm. nope, that was that was old school Oprah. Have you checked if she hasn't done any new skits about the Palestinian thing? Oprah? No, I'm talking about the black woman that did the skit Ukraine, Russia, and U.S. No, I haven't yet. Okay. Uh, I was just thinking about a couple of things. 
since you brought this up, I've noticed you brought this up multiple times. Uh, remember when Gator asked you a question back then and you didn't answer him? And I'm guessing, man, back then you were probably afraid if you answered it, people might call you a Trumper. Well, nowadays you could just tell people, go fuck off if, if, if they think you're a Trumper. And the question was, uh, it was in the, it's in the news when people said that, uh, well, when Trump was around, they were financially better. But Trump is not really for the working class, even though Republicans just, they just increased your wealth by a tick and Democrats won't do shit about it. So do you feel like now you, after you've seen multiple times that you openly can say that, well, it was better under Trump, but not really better? I thought I did answer that question. Financially? No, because I remember when you were basically going back and forth with Gator and Gator looked like like you weren't answering the question. So I'm just saying maybe you weren't comfortable saying it. You were afraid that somebody might call you a Trumper. No, I don't think that's the case, Ashura. I'm pretty sure, uh, if anything, if I remember Gator correctly, I remember he took a long time to say what he had to say, and I probably forgot what the question was. Yeah, it was him and Nina Lemonade, so they basically stopped coming. Uh, the question, the thing I want to ask you is, um, do you know anybody that's uh, currently in the uh, in the uh, those marches? Do you know anybody from those marches? What marches? The marches for Palestine, the ones that have been going around, the three hundred K people. The which one? The one in DC? DC anywhere? Yeah, I know several oh. people that were at those marches. Okay, because uh, what I don't want is this the the Gaza thing to be a distraction. Because I feel like it's it's getting to be a distraction because I noticed that I was watching Al Jazeera and Israel is moving in on the uh the West Bank. And they're doing pogroms on the West Bank. They're kicking people out. They the you got the IDF training the white settlers. They're basically giving them guns, AR fifteens, or whatever the the whatever type of one of the weapons that shoot multiple bullets. And then the settlers are throwing out pamphlets telling them, You better get out. Or we're gonna force no, you we're out. Gonna, we're we're covering that. I I touched on that a little bit, but we're also okay, covering okay. that on Thursday. Okay, I I didn't think you know about that one. No, I, was I, like, I already touched on that. Late. I'm at a open mic doing the band practice thing, but um, I'm curious as to how much y'all have heard about the unicorn party, and I think there's like somebody named Jasmine running for the unicorn party and wondering if maybe you can cop an interview with them and give us some more insight. I, I interviewed Jasmine. She's not with that party anymore. She's now a part of, apparently she was trying to run through the green party. Um, but I interviewed her a while back. Sorry about that. I'll check it out. Hello. Yeah. So, if you guys, this is a question I hear asked the other day that is one of my favorite questions. You know, if there's a gun, if, if uh, say, if your vote was the only vote that mattered, um, who would you say? Um, I think for me, it would still be... Um, I would vote for Dr. West just based on the, not even just the Israel and Palestine issue alone, but just based on um, the issue, the domestic issues, the issues for the American people.
if I had to Hell yeah. choose today. Reparations for Native Americans and uh, how do you say descendants of slavery and all that good stuff. And uh, just a cool guy on top of everything. Like, I, I wouldn't mind listening to him and hearing his voice for four years. You know, it's funny because he's also my first choice, too. He was also my first choice for president. And it's just so nice to see that just happen on its own. As a matter of fact, it happened like just days after I ran um, my platform through ChatGPT in the style of Dr. West. Like, what would it sound like if Dr. West wrote it? And then just three days later, he, he, he announced his presidency. I was like, woo. So that, that was really nice. But uh, I guess my second choice would be like Whitney Webb, I guess, maybe if, if she would be a possibility. I don't think Whitney Webb would ever, ever run because of the things that she's reported. Yeah, or Abby Martin. You know, I'm trying to think of uh, some cool, cool people for the job or at least maybe like a cabinet or Congress, people who should run for something, you know, whether it's president or something else. Uh, there's a lot of people I'd love to see running, and they're not doing it. I think the college students, though. I mean, honestly, I'd love to see more college students running. Any college student at all. Um, I guess the 35 would have to be, or 25 would be the cap, I think, for some of the uh, other positions. Um, but, man, we really need to lower that. Uh... Yeah, no, the 35 thing um, is what cuts off a lot of people, to be honest. Um, anyone else? Oh, Roger, I want to go back to you and then I'm going to head out in a sec. Oh, um, I don't know. I, I think I said everything I could think. Oh, of. I thought you said you had updates. Yeah, I told you them. Those were the, uh, those, those ballot initiatives. Can, can oh, I jump okay. in real quick? It was, it was just the updates to the, um, to, to you know like uh, what was coming in I was looking at pretty much the uh matter of fact let me take a one more look by the way Sabrina do you know about the Ukraine talking points not Ukraine talking points the Israel talking points there's a book uh that's in the UN like some girl was talking about it she was gonna do like a part two and three I was just scoping out Twitter and Frank analysis was saying, uh, what's his name? Uh, Cornell, and not Cornell West. Uh, Kanye West was right. That was trending. So I looked it up. And then I saw this woman. She was talking about this this registry or some book that they, that's in the UN made by Israel. That these are the talking points you have to say about Israel. You have to say nice thing about Israel. Make him look like the victim. They're good people. They're the chosen ones. And once you get to the Palestinians, crap on them. But you have to add Hamas on there. Yeah, none of this is surprising to me, like honestly. But you can't say that on. I would be very careful about saying that on. Oh, YouTube. Okay, okay, okay. I, oh, I was wondering if you didn't know know about that because I was like, wow, really? There's a book for talking points for Israel. Yeah, I mean, this is like again, this was discussed when Miko Khalid came on. Like he did mention, he talked about the Zionist talking points, um, which is exactly that's why I was saying before. If you listen to what RFK Jr. is saying, he's just basically copying the Zionist playbook. It's, it's exact. It's word by word. He's repeating what is said at the APAC conferences, what is said by the ADL. Like it's it's very obvious. Um, have you also have you also put out the uh, video, the one you were talking about, the UN? Is it out? I haven't seen that clip. 
Which which video? Uh, the clip where you said well, you you did it on on live stream one time, and you said that the, what what the hell is the UN for when it came to the bombing of Gaza? Is it is it out as a clip? That's already posted, I believe. Okay, okay, I just wanted to know. Yeah, the YouTube's they're going off the hook on the chat censorship. So so I tried to put in on um the previous show. What I what I put in was, and this is basically uh, like a um, I, like quoting. Um, I, I get this from uh, Chris Hedges or something. Hedges said version of this. So I tried to put in, Hamas spoke in the language that Israel taught them. Right? Doesn't seem like a huge, and you, you can't you can't put that in chat. YouTube squashes that. Oh, that, I thought that was you, Eric, <laughs> or Sabrina. <laughs> no, we ain't censoring you. I noticed when somebody says something that's not pro-Israel, it disappears immediately. Yep. And and we can tell. I can tell because I also see the chat come through the Streamyard, and I you know and I put it in on one computer and it doesn't show up in Streamyard or anywhere else. So it's pretty clear. And then another one I did today is I I, I went to put in nothing Hamas has done justifies what Israel is doing to Gaza. Again, pretty. There's no incitement there or nothing, but nope, YouTube. So so they have these automatic algorithms that are just picking up on certain combinations of things. And, of course, Hamas, Israel, and Gaza are like big buzzwords. And, and yeah, YouTube will just squash it. If you're just on your computer putting that in, you can't tell. It comes up on your screen, but nobody else's. So that's the kind of insidious censorship we're dealing with these days. So uh, the Ottoman Empire, they were Muslim, right? Somebody, I'm sorry, there's static in the background. It, can uh, someone it's Case. Mute? Oh, Case, can you mute for just, okay. Yeah, I was like in the Ottoman Empire. I've heard them talk about it. I didn't, I didn't do deep dive history. Uh, but the Ottoman Empire, were they, were they Muslim to begin with? Because if they said that they ruled over Palestine and the other Muslim countries that came to be like Saudi Arabia, Jordan... And the rest of them, then that basically blows out of the water the whole uh, oh, Jews where they're already there in Palestine. If the demographics was fully Muslim, and they they are Israel is in the middle of Muslim country. I don't I don't know for sure, but I would assume they would have been they would they probably would have been. Yeah, because that 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 also I've been dealing with a bunch of idiots basically bringing that up every fucking time. They said Israel existed long before. There were Jews before, but what was the demographic? Because if Palestine was there, and people said that the Palestine came from the Greeks, the Greeks were the ones who gave the name Palestine. And uh, I was like, well, if the state was funded in 1948, 1947, 1948, then why are you telling me Palestine is, is non-existent? It's non-existent. They're trying to erase Palestine every time you bring it up and basically super, superimpose Israel on top of it. Mm-hmm. Basically, I mean that's how it works. That's pretty much um how it works. Yeah, because right, um, well, go ahead. Yeah, and it comes. To, it it looks to me that all this is coming from this whole Zionist project. It all comes from Britain, actually. I mean, America yeah. has a Zionist project. Uh, Israel's a Zionist project. It's like a they just keep birthing these Zionists out of uh out of Britain, Australia also Zionist project. 
because uh, uh, m m some people don't know, there are indigenous people in Australia. They also basically took over that country. It seems like they took over any country. There was somebody there. They turned them into a slave where they wiped them out. And I'll, I'll say finally, uh, I thought you were going to bring up the the, tw the 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 clip you put on Twitter, the one about the black woman who 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 basically got her hair pulled by the Jewish woman. No, you can't show that on YouTube. Oh, okay. Yeah, you can't you can't show physical violence on YouTube. Oh, that's oh, that's stupid. Yeah. yeah, it was ridiculous because I, I feel like the video was chopped a bit because there's a point where you see her grab your grab grab her hair, but you have to basically rewind the video several times to see it. Otherwise, it'll look like angry black woman just punched a white Jew woman. Well, they did. They did. Uh, they did that on purpose. They edited that video on purpose. Yeah. Well, she found out that uh, anytime you pull the hair of black women, you get them hands. <laughs> yep. Anyways. Alrighty, thank you, Shira. Okay, go ahead, Case, and then I, I do have to head out. Yeah, I did, you you guys were talking earlier about possible. I think with Brady, possible people running. I was wondering if uh, Sean Fain was brought up. I heard his name a couple times. You know, my thing is, we can't I don't. Case. case, we can't hear you. Oh, you can't hear me. Oh, okay. No worries. No worries. I'll, I'll chat later or another day. Paul, go ahead, uh, um, Noel. I was just going to say that at some point, Sabrina, I'm going to share with you um, a, a the city of Cleveland over the last two years has brought back public comments. And I actually, you know, I've been fighting, you know, this fraud thing that I've been immersed in for the last several years, but I made public comments and one of the local media outlets here is like a new upstart. They had it archived in their histories, but they didn't report on it. But I, at some point I wanted to share it with you so that you can, you and the, um, and maybe you can cover my story at some point once we figure out what the dimensions of it are. But, you know, at least you get to see me making public comments at City Hall. But the long and short of the story is none of the local media and I'm making serious allegations and I'm naming the mayor and the dates that I've sent information and none of the media will cover the story. It's like a total blackout. And it's just it's just really been amazing in the worst of ways. Because it's, I can, you know, my case is so easily discernible. But I just wanted to mention that. And at some point, hopefully, um, I'll be able to share in a more detailed fashion. That sounds good, Noel. Yeah, I know it's, it's, it's crazy stuff. Um, these are crazy, these are crazy times, I gotta tell you. But, um, you wanna try one more time, Case, before we go? Oh, can you can you hear me? No, no. I, I think I'm sorry. Last time when he was talking, his icon wasn't lit up, and it was that's when he was clear. Yeah, like case. I don't know. Are you still on the Bluetooth? Yeah, he has case? his Bluetooth phone. He has to shut it off and go on speaker.
Okay. Yeah, it's all right. It's tricky sometimes. It's all right. Can you hear me now or no? No, you're, you're freaking up. Okay, I'm sorry. Uh, we'll have a uh, chat later. We'll talk, talk later. Have a good it's one. Your, your blue tooth has turned yeah. red. Huh? I said your blue tooth has turned red. Oh, I'm sorry, Case. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Um, Colin giveth and Colin taketh away. <laughs> Bluetooth, you know what? Bluetooth can be tricky sometimes because sometimes Bluetooth is all right and then sometimes it's, I don't know. But Roger, don't you use Bluetooth or no? Well, not anymore. I don't have that car. That whole thing I was telling you about. Oh, yeah, that's right. But did you ever have those problems? No, we didn't have those problems when you're using it. Maybe Case is outside. All right. Well, I got to get going, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. Um, so I'll be back Thursday night. Uh, no call in the rest of this week because I do have I have um, that outpatient procedure on Friday. So Friday, Saturday, I will pretty I will be offline for the most part, probably. Um, but so I, I won't be streaming Friday, but I'll be back Thursday. Okay, well, I'll certainly be praying for you, whatever it is, um, that everything goes well and that you're made better. And other than that, I just say good morning to everyone. Take care Bye. of yourself. Thank Peace you. Out. Bye, guys. Good night. Good morning.